Okay, good evening everyone. This week we're going to be learning three days in a row. Hasidus, so this is really good. Any case, uh, this is Thursday night, Parshas B'Shalach. There's one more discourse in Parshas B'Shalach that we didn't learn in Sefer Torah Or, and that was um, on page 128. Daf Samach Dalid Amid Gimel, as it's over here. Amid Beis or Amid Gimel, as we call it. And the mimer begins with the words, Hashem that Hashem walks before them, Yoimam. On top of it, it says, It's an explanation on the above. So uh, it's an explanation on a mimer. Now, the mimer that this is an explanation on was an all-time favorite for me. I remember when we learned it then, it was like such an awesome discourse. Uh, it, it, we learned this back in the days of Beis Pitzala. So it's a long time ago when we used to give the classes over there on Pico. And I looked at it for it online on the Mayan website, and it's not there. I have to search for it so that we can get it online. This minor is a discourse, is an explanation of that discourse. Um, being that this week was a very bossy Lagani Digo week, we spent hours and hours learning that mimer, um, and plus some other talks and travel and so on and so forth. I didn't um, give this mimer the, the, the preparation it needs at all. And um, therefore, um, I feel, I mean, even though it, I, I, we're going to learn it and we can teach it and so on and so forth, but I hope the, the depth and the light of it is going to open up for me because I'm still feeling, I feel like I'm on the outside of it. That's, that, that's the idea. I don't feel like I'm the inside. I feel like I'm on the outside. So, and also, because of this enormous exhaustion, I don't know how much we'll learn today. Maybe we'll finish it next week. Maybe we'll see how it goes, see how the energy level moves. Okay, here we are. So there's a fascinating, um, this week is the, is the Torah describes the splitting of the sea. The splitting of the sea. And um, in the process of the splitting of the sea, the Jews were being ch chased by the Egyptian armies. As they got closer to the sea, the verse says that the angel of God that was going in front of, um, that was going in front of them, moved and it went behind them it's like this hashem the, in the beginning of the parsha it says hashem that hashem was walking in front of them so the jews are following simply the jews are following god how is god how do you see god god is walking in front of them how they see so hashem was walking in front of them through a pillar of fire uh through a pillar of cloud a cloud pillar so they had a cloud pillar marching in front of them and they were following that literally that gps but it was God who was the GPS enclosed into this uh, cloud pillar, and they were following behind this cloud. They saw the cloud. That was by day. By night, the cloud pillar um, changed into a fire pillar, or rather not changed into, but the cloud pillar would leave and a, and a fire pillar would come down. So it was a different pillar. It was God manifested by day through a cloud pillar and by night through a fire pillar. So the fire had the extra quality of lighting up the darkness. By day, they didn't need that. But by night, they needed that. So these were, now. So later, that's discussed in the beginning of Parsha's B'Shalach. Later in the Parsha, it, it, it mentions that as the Egyptians were catching up and they were closing the gap between them and the Jewish, they gave chase, and they were closing the gap between them and the Jewish camp, and they were ready to massacre them all. So they were actually shooting. 
the Egyptians are coming after them. They're all like major archers and and warriors, and they're they're uh, these were the most skilled army in the world. So they're coming up behind them, and they're shooting arrows and and missiles, projectiles. They have these these cannons, uh, whatever whatever type of uh, sophisticated weapons of those days. And the Egyptians had the top ones, and that's why they were. It says when Paro gathered, he gathered these unique unique uh, ch uh, chariots. The chariots of of Pharaoh's army were uh, the most known, notarized chariots. This was like the most modern military equipment possible in those days. And he was chasing after them, and he was shooting all this stuff at them. So to protect the Jewish people, it says the that the angel of God that was walking in front of them, which kind of is telling us that. Uh, when it says Hashem was going with them through the pillar and through that, there was a, that was, that's also called an angel of God that's going in front of them. That angel went behind them. And what was the point of it going behind them? Um, the point of it was so that, um, so, so interesting, Rashi explains what happened was like this. It turned night. This was the nighttime. See, the splitting of the sea happened towards morning. Um, or during the night, the splitting of the sea happened in the, oh, I think the splitting of the sea happened in the last third of the night, the early, early hours of the morning. Towards morning is when the sea came crashing down on the Egyptians, but all night long, the Egyptians are chasing after the Jewish people as they're getting closer and closer and closer to the sea. Um, now, um, Sarashi explains that usually during the daytime, they had this cloud pillar, which, as we said earlier, the divine presence is enclosed in this, in this, um, in this cloud, pillar of cloud. And usually, when nighttime would come, the cloud pillar would leave, and a pillar of fire would come. But this time, the cloud did not. And when it would leave, you can see it ascending up to heaven. They would see the cloud rising. Higher, higher until they couldn't see it anymore. It went up, up, up into the sky. Every day they would see this. Now the 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 but but this this time was different. Instead of it ascending upward, it moved behind the camp, and it became a a a partition. It became a wall, and the point of it was that it should that it should block the the projectiles that were being shot at them. The arrows and all that, which were murderous, you know, weapons, they were being shot at them. So God, basically, it was God was intercepting all that, all that, and protecting them. It was a, a curtain, and that's what it served from behind them. Meanwhile, the the cloud, the fire pillar was in front of them, leading the way. Now, this cloud pillar actually served two functions. Function number one is that it caught all the projectiles that were fired to them from behind and acted as an interceptor. And the second thing that it did was that it blocked the light that was being, that was being illumined, that was shining, that was radiating in the front. There was this massive light coming from this massive pillar of fire that lit up the entire Jewish camp. In order that the Egyptians should not benefit from that light, so the cloud was a fog and it blocked the light. So for the Egyptians, it was pitch black. For the Jewish people, it was, was illuminated by the light. And they were, move, they were moving in the light and they were moving in the darkness.
And this is what kept the Egyptians at a certain distance from the Jewish people because they couldn't move fast because of the darkness and all of that, or else they would have caught up to them very quickly. You see, you realize the Jews are going not with horses, they're just going with donkeys loaded with all their baggage and all their equipment and all the stuff they're taking out with families and little children. The Egyptians are coming with a military force with enormous speed. But yet, all night long, they couldn't catch up to them because the, the Jewish camp was moving with the, with, with, the, with the great illumination of light in front of them. The Egyptian camp was being hindered and being slowed down because they, they couldn't see where they're going. In addition to that, they were having lots of other troubles as, as the, they were getting stuck in the mud and that all kinds of stuff was happening. It was a very difficult night, let's just say, for the Egyptians, but still they didn't give up. They were still going after that. Okay, fine. That's what it says. So the angel of God that went before went behind. There is a fascinating passage in the Zohar where the Zohar says, bringing us back to the Pasuk that we, can, that we were learning so much about in Song of Songs, chapter one in Song of Songs, it says, God says to the horses, to the female horses of the chariot of Pharaoh, I compared you, my bride. Or what was the other period we said? I silenced you. I silenced you, my bride, like the horses of the chariot of Pharaoh. Because God said to them, be silent. That's an important point in tonight's class, actually. Because they wanted to cry out, God said, be quiet. Um, but, so we learned so much already into the depth of what that means. We've been learning the last couple of Thursday nights, besides last week when we learned Basiligani, we were learning in Sefer Lakuti Torah on the Alter Rebbe and Shir Hashirim, two discourses on that. Now, I mean, we learned, I think, the discourse, and we learned the explanation of the discourse. That's what it was. And we learned the third discourse. <laughs> there was there was a, a short paroi uh, that we learned in, in Shira Shirim, then a long one, I think, with an explanation on it. So there was a whole lot of lesusasi going on. This possible. In Torah Ur, there's also a mimer on, on, in Pasha's Bishalach on this Pasuk and a commentary. So this one that we're learning now is the commentary on the mimer that we learned years ago. Now, over there he brings a fascinating quote from the Zohar, which is in this week's Zohar, of this week's Torah portion, Pasha's Bishalach. The Zohar... In while it's giving commentary on the story of the splitting of the sea, quotes this verse from Song of Songs. And the Zohar says that, what does it mean? What's the comparison to the horses and the chariot affair? So the Zohar says something which is utterly cryptic. It's weird and strange. And yet, once you learn the mimer, you see, ah, oh, that makes sense. But the Zohar says like this, it says, I compared you, my bride, to the female horses of the chariot of Pharaoh. We learned a beautiful interpretation a while ago, last week, that just like they would adorn the horses with all kinds of jewelry, and yet the horse has no clue of what it is that it's wearing. Remember we said? And yet, it's it's so it's part of the glory of the king, that the king is... that. 
So when we do mitzvahs, in which we are adorned by the highest divine jewelries, we're, we're wearing this incredible godly, and yet we have no clue what we're doing, just like the horses are wearing the, the decorated, um, and they have no idea, but it's part of the glory of Hashem, what, what they are wearing. There's a fascinating explanation we learned. Here we're going to have a whole different discussion on this whole idea. Anyways, so what does it say? The Zohar says like this, Tochazi, come and see. Kedugma susya nukva is chazaloin l'susayin deparoi v'ikmuhu. According to female, uh, uh, similar to, uh, meaning uh, uh, a kedugma, kedugma means a, a Hashem revealed himself to them at the time of the splitting of the sea in the same manner, and I'm not learning yet inside from there. I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'm first quoting the Zohar, where it says, according in, in, in equivalence and similar to the female horses of Pharaoh, Pharaoh, God then revealed himself to the Jewish people. As Hashem reflected or, or, or copied the horses of Pharaoh's chariot. Um, and what does that mean? Elosusasi berichbe paroi, boyere, come and see. Paroi, yeah, Paro is a very wicked man. And what did he do to enhance his his uh, battle strategy to harm the Jewish people? Here we are. Paroi b'shata devedodif abasrai di Yisrael. As he was chasing after the Jewish people, ma'avad, what did he do? Natal Susvan Nukvin Vikhafas Loin Birituchai Bikad Mesa. He took female horses and he put them up front in his chariots. So the female horses were in the front. The Susan Dukhroi and he took male horses. And he put them behind the female horses. The strategy Bipashtis on the simple level is is he wants to get the horses to run really quickly, to gallop really quickly. So if the males will chase the females, that's what he did. So he put the female horses up front and that will get the males excited. And they're gonna be going after the female horses and that's the way he's gonna get this the chariots going strong. So we're going to see that this was much deeper than that. Paro had a very evil scheme doing this whole business. We're gonna to get to that in a moment. So it caused the, the, the males were fighting beside the female, but enraged by the females. And that's what was getting this, this that's how we stimulated the battle. But then the females didn't want to go. In other words, I guess, I, I'm not sure what the Zohar means, but I think what, what the Zohar is implying is that it wasn't working out that well because the females were were uh, were not interested in this whole uh, in this whole situation. Fine, even the cardiff. But when he got close, so maybe that's what slowed him down because he wasn't really even the cardiff the gabayu di Israel. When he got close to Israel, he switched things around. Not al nukva. He took the female horses, he put them behind, 
and he put the male horses like Admeyan in the front. to harm Israel, in order to fight with them. So Paro's strategy was as follows. First, he has the female horses running in the front, followed by the male horses, but this was only when they were when he was chasing out of Egypt. But as he approached the Jewish camp, he moved the female horses behind and the males in the front. Now, on the simple level, why, what, where, and when? I'm not sure. Maybe because the females were were uh, were uh, sabotaging. Maybe because they weren't. Uh, so then, the end. As he was close, he moved them behind and moved the males in the front. We'll soon see the spiritual dynamics. How? What kind of evil scheme this was? Okay. What what he was trying to do? Fine. So Kegav I watch this. So now the Zohar says, here's the cryptic element of the Zohar. It says that God says, the verse says, like the, like the horses of Pharaoh, I compared you my bride. Like the female horses of Pharaoh, I compared you my bride. Who is the bride? The bride is the Shekhinah. Simply it's talking to the Jewish people. Simply, it's talking to the Jewish people. The bride is Israel. But over here, the Zohar is saying something on a more mystical level. The feminine element of the divine is called Shekhinah. So what God did was the Shekhinah, the divine presence called the Shekhinah. Initially, it was walking in front of the Jewish people. And the Jews were following behind the Shekhinah. As it says in the beginning of the parish of Hashem that Hashem was walking in front of. But as they came close to the sea, the Shekhinah went behind them. That says the Malach Elohim went, went behind. The Shekhinah went behind them. So basically, what the Zohar is saying, this was in 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 um this was in uh, in, in in alignment and in complete synchronization with what the enemy was doing. Paro had initially the female in the front and the males behind. That's what happened in the Jewish world as well. We were be marching behind the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is the feminine element of God. So Shekhinah was in the front, the female, the female horse in this sense, which the Shekhinah is compared to a horse, the female horse. She's going in front of the Jewish people and we're following. But then, just like if Paro goes and he puts the females behind, we'll soon see why, what that means. So in our case as well, the Shekhinah went behind the Jewish people. Let's read the Zoya. That Hashem was walking in front of them by day. In the end, the Shekhinah went. Now when it says Hashem, the Zohar is not explaining, but the Zohar is implying that that's the Shekhinah. That's the female horse, the meaning the female element of the divine. It is going in front of them. Even though it only says Vahashem, the Alter Rebbe is going to explain how you know it's the Shekhinah. Maybe it's the masculine side of God. How do you know it's Shekhinah? We're going to get to that. But the Zohar implies that, that just like the female horses of Paro were riding in the front, so too the Shekhinah was going in front of, the, of Israel at the time of the, going out, the exodus, going out of Egypt, until they got to the sea. But as they came the night before the splitting of the sea, and they got closer to this event of the splitting of the sea, Chazra Shechinto, the Shechinto went, Lachereim the Israel, moved behind Israel. 
The chsiv as it says, the, the angel of God, which angel? That's the angel that till now was in the front, now went behind. Begin That's the meaning the Zohar says, the Messichrayasi. I compared you to the horses of Paro. So we were strategizing together with Paro. As Paro was setting up his strategy, we did we matched him measure for measure. Measure for measure. What we are going to see was that Paro was trying to activate something very, very, very powerful. Both by putting the females first, he 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 activated something powerful in the realms of Klippa and the realms of and as he wanted to intensify the forces of unholiness by doing that. The spiritual forces of unholiness. His physical actions were all actions that were meant to bring about an enormous empowerment in the forces of unholiness. Including, including to jam the to jam the Jewish souls with enormous klipa darkness. Because the real battle of it was a spiritual battle. Jews are trying to hold on in their faith in God at that time, remain loyal to Hashem, have faith in Him, and so on and so forth. And He wanted to distract them with unholy thoughts. And all of this, and the scheme, the way he did it, as we're soon going to see, was putting the female horses, which were going to stimulate the male horses, and what, and 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 it, to attack, and that means to bring about an extreme, powerful spiritual impurity upon the Jewish people and their consciousness and their psyche, and through that thwart the entire Exodus. Because the exodus is dependent on the fact that Jews are following behind God with simple faith and attachment. And he wants to cut them off on that. And his scheme was female horses first, the male horses will follow. But when they got close to the sea, Paro realized that that scheme is great but now he needs something far more powerful than that. And therefore, at this point, he removed the female horses, put them behind, and allowed the male horses to go in front. This represented something even darker than what was happening before, as we'll soon see. In equivalence to that, God did the same thing in holiness. Initially, the game plan was female horses first in holiness, which will stimulate the male horses of holiness, which will lead the Jewish people out of Egypt. And it did. The male horses following the female horses was actually the process in which we got out of Egypt. When we got to the sea, we needed to experience a much greater elevation going out of Egypt, a much deeper connection. We needed to suddenly be elevated way beyond we were by the time of the Exodus. At that moment, the female horses were no more playing or would not play a role anymore. They went behind. And this was purely a male exercise. We'll soon see what that means. And we're soon going to understand what does that mean in our connection to God as well. So this was a battle measure for measure going on. But it's already, already exciting. Let's see.
Hashem Hoylech Lefneim Yoimam, and God went before them by day. Let's see the mind. Hashem, so this is in the beginning of the parish. Vashem, and when it so we're mentioning, we're saying that what that this is this is referring to the in the Zohar, this is the idea of the female going in the front and then she goes behind. So, how do you know this is female? So the Alter Rebbe derives it because it says Vahashem. It doesn't say Hashem Holech Lifneim, God was going, it says and God. The sages say every time it says Hashem, it's God Himself. When it says Vahashem, it means him and his basedin. Va, the, the added vav over there comes to add someone else. So it's God and his court. God and his entourage, so to speak. Him and his and his uh, his government, so to speak. Not just him, but his entire government, his entire senate, right? Him and his him and his uh, justices, or you might call them. So spiritually what does it mean hashem and what does it mean hashem and his and his based in so based in is referring to hashem himself is referring to the masculine element of the divine hashem's based in is referring to malchut kingship attribute because that's called malchus is called uh judgment malchus is called based in like what's the name of god of the Shekhinah. What's the Shekhinah's name? The feminine element of the divine. The feminine element, her, her, her name is Aleph Dalid Nun Yud. Right, Ado, which the middle words from the word Aleph Dalid Nun Yud spell the word, or if you add the Yud as well, spell the word Din. Because Malchus is already related to kingship, and a king establishes his rule over his country through law and order, through judgment. He has to set laws and so on and so on. So Malchus is called the Beisdin. So when it says over here, Vahashem Holech, that Hashem was going, but it doesn't just say Hashem, it says Vahashem. It's referring to Hashem as he is enclosed in the Shekhinah. And in this sense, what dominates over here is the Shekhinah element, the feminine element of God. That's what he says. Since it says Vahashem, which means him and his based in Hainu Shechina. This is the level of the divine called Shechina. Now, once we know this is the feminine element of God, the feminine element of the divine, right, which is called Shechina. Now, at the time of the going out of Egypt, it was marching in front of the camp. It was traveling in the front. And afterwards, at the time of the splitting of the sea, the very same being that was in the front of them went behind them. It went and it traveled behind them. The Israel, the Shechina went behind Israel. So here she's marching in the, and that's the same idea of the feminine horses, the female horses. I'm sorry, who were first in the front, and then were put in the back. Same as also the Shechina, which is the female element of the divine, is first in the front, and then it goes in the back. 
and the explanation of the matter is as follows. What can this mean? In an Indian beisusim, the idea of two types of horses, female and male, you're talking about two types of horses. Which one is going in the front? Okay. I know, and what does that represent? Female and male is always, female is the recipient and male is the, is the transmitter. This is the concept called mashpia and makabal, influencer and recipient. Okay. So in our relationship with God, for instance, we are called the female, we are the wife, the bride, all of creation, the souls for sure, but really all of creation is called what? The bride, the wife, the recipient, and God is the husband. He's the, he's the, he's the, he's the provider, the provider and the recipient. So if you take that concept and concept and apply, and we're not going to get into the concept of horses. Before we touch horses, let's just get male and female. So female, female represents in general the world, the recipients. We might say the vessels, the containers, the finite. The male represents the infinite, the boundless, the provider, the source. That's male. On a little bit of a now within God within the divine itself, that, that's in general. Hashem is the male, we're the female. But within the divine itself, there is the masculine side of God and the feminine side of God. Why? The 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 part of God, so to speak, the tail end of God that becomes vested within creation, becomes the soul of creation, descends into the creation. It means descends into the finite world to become the life, the life force of the world. That already that is already considered creation, because it's part of the creation. So that's the that's and that's the meaning of the word shechina. Shechina means that which dwells. The world then is the nest. The shechina is the what dwells within the nest. So she becomes part of the world. She's the life giving force of the world. In that sense, that element of the divine that is condensed, contracted within the world, it's called shechina, it's called female. So why do we refer to that? Because on that level, God is fully interacting with the world and very much invested in, in, and engaged and involved within the world. It's called malchut, it's called shechina, and it's female. One more element to it, it's divine speech. Because which part of God is invested within the world to create the world, to sustain the world? Shem's words. He speaks and the world comes into existence. It's, it's, it's Dibor, his speech. The speech of God becomes the soul of creation. So, And speech generally is associated with women. Women have a natural tendency to talk more than men. Because that's where they come from. They come from the world from speech. Um, so that's that's female. Okay, fine. Now we're going to apply the whole thing to horses. Now why are we talking about horses to begin with? Because the whole story over here is about horses. But what is the concept of horses over here? 
in particular in this whole concept of male and female, the infinite light of God being male, and then the female, and then the Shekhinah is female. There's many, many energies that are transmitted from up down, particularly letters, speech, letters, words. Words are made up of letters. Letters are called horses. We learned that many times. The reason they're called horses, because just like a horse is a vehicle that carries something, usually people ride on horses. The most, from all the animals, the most convenient animal to use as a vehicle of transport are times you use camels because camels can carry a heavy load and they can go very long distances, but it's not that fast. It's a slow situation. Donkeys are made mainly to be like a tow truck. Instead, they tow heavy loads. Um, uh, and oxen are made to plow fields. You know, there that's there. That's what they were used in most of the right? oxen. They have this brute strength to pull a plow. Horses were always used as what? As transporters who transported what? Either a wagon, brought people in a wagon, or people riding on the horses. In the same way, letters. So, what is it? What is the horse doing? The value of the horse is not in the horse itself. The value in the horse is that the horse is carrying someone from point A to point Z. Either it's carrying a person or it's carrying a whole wagon with a whole bunch of people. Or it's the mail carrier who's bringing the mail. But whatever it is, the horse is the agent, is the, uh, the courier who's carrying stuff from place to place. So if we can take that concept and turn it a little bit more in the abstract, what do we use within ourselves to, sh to ship stuff from person to person? If I want to ship something to you, Amazon, what do I want to ship to you? I want to ship a concept that's in my head. I studied this discourse uh, a while ago, and now I want to ship it over to you. You're listening either on YouTube, Facebook, or you're sitting over here, you're listening to me. How do I ship the idea that's in my head that way towards you? I got to find words. I got to put it into words. I speak those words. The words travel. Either they're traveling physically and through the airwaves or they're traveling through uh, online uh, social media, whatever it is, and it's being recorded. And then these words are carrying the ideas and then I'm shipping the ideas. So the ideas are considered like the person riding and the horse is the letters themselves are. So when actually when I said like a few sentences, I sent off like, you know, like a few couple of hundred horses carrying a concept, carrying an idea. That's the horses. So horses in general is the concept of speech. What then would be male horses and what would be female horses? It, we're saying that horses, that would mean male speech and female speech. Either a woman talking or a man talking. I'm not saying a woman talking or a man talking. Let's change this. Female speech, speech that is feminine, and speech that is masculine. What does that mean? Speech that is feminine and speech that is masculine. Speech that is meant to communicate the recipient's 
the recipient, something that the recipient wants to communicate. If the recipient wants to communicate something to its provider. You have a provider, you have a teacher and a student. The student comes to the teacher and they study together. The student goes home. And now it's not the middle of a class. So there's, you know, it's a set time, you know. Whenever it is, once a day, the student comes and learns with the teacher, fine. But the student now, it's not the time, it's nine o'clock at night, has a question. So they, they're in need for their teacher's input. So the, the student is in need for the teacher's input. The student needs to do what? Communicate that need. I'm bewildered, I have a question, I don't know, I'm confused. So the student who has a need needs to communicate that need or that desire or that want to the teacher. The teacher, and how does the community, how does the student do that? You send the over a couple of horses. You send over words. How do you send over the words? Either you do it through the phone, or you do it through the text, or you do it through the whatever, whatever it is. You're sending, you're communicating. Without words, you can't communicate it to the teacher. So you're communicating it. The provider is the teacher, the student is the recipient. So the student, the recipient is now sending words where the content of these words are i need something from you i need your light i need your illumination i need your help that's called feminine horses when the te when these horses reach these female horses reach the teacher and the teacher hears the plea or the desire or the want or the need from the student for some insight, for some idea. And the teacher now responds and communicates an answer by email, by text, by, by conversation, whatever it is, or by, by prior, come on over to my house, I'll share with you, I'll teach you, whatever. So that now, the response of the teacher is called male horses. Because here as well, it's going through words. The teacher is giving an answer through words, those words are male horses. And they're traveling from the provider to the recipient. So now we have an idea what means female horses, what means male horses. Every stimulation coming through words, which is the stimulation of the recipient who needs influence to be drawn down to them and is seeking influence, whatever type of influence that is, but is seeking influence, that's called female horses. Words that are carrying the, the actual, uh, that are carrying the, the, uh, the, uh, the information from the, from the, uh, provider to the recipient are called male horses. So usually the order is, if there is no one needing, then the teacher is not gonna provide. When there is a need, there will be a, there will be a, there will be a, a transmission. So which horses need to come first? 
the regular horses, his female horses have to go before the male horses. The male is, we'll use a, 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 the male gets excited to give when there's a female that wants to receive. If there's no female wanting to receive, if there's nobody needs it, the male is not giving. And that's the, the general idea that the, that the Pharaoh is doing over here as well. He's putting the females to turn on the males. So spiritually what that means, we'll soon see what Paro's scheme was. But the concept over here is there is a stimulation coming from below, which is working its way to, 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 to um, stimulate and to bring an influence from the provider. Okay. So now he explains like now let's read inside. Bira Indian in a Indian base susim, the types of the, the idea of the two horses, the female horses and the male horses means as follows. In Kabbalistic terminology, it means Hainu. In Zoharic terminology, an arousal from below, and a reciprocation from above. We know the whole order of our engaging with God. The worlds engage with God. We humans engage with God. How is that? We pray to him. We ask. We petition. We request. We yearn. We communicate our need for his blessing. Or we do something, whatever, to, to stimulate. And then God responds to our requests, to our press, the whole idea of prayer. We pray, we ask, and then God provides. So our prayers from below are called the serusa de latata, the arousal from below. We first have to stir within ourselves that we need him, that we need his light, we need his blessing. When we stir up with that desire and that request from us, then he responds, the arousal from above, which means when he is moved to give, when we're asking, whatever it is that we're asking for, to shine upon us, to communicate and to send his light to us, that's called the arousal from above, and that's male horses. Female horses, male horses. So now let's translate that for a moment in our own, in our own relationship with God. In Judaism, we very, very, very much engage religiously with, with words. 90% of being Jewish is talking. <laughs> it's a whole lot of religious talking. Because the main two mitzvahs that we do all the time is prayer and Torah study. And in prayer, there's so much that we talk and talk and say and say and say. So many words that we say. And in um, and in the, and in Torah, the mitzvah is not just to think; it's not just to get to know ideas. The mitzvah is primarily to speak. you should speak Torah. We have libraries and libraries of books. So there's a huge amount of Torah books now the difference between prayer and torah is male and female horses if you're going into a jewish library 
and you're going into a, and you see thousands of Jewish, let's see, it's a big library, hundreds and hundreds or thousands of books. You just entered into, I don't know what they call a horse, uh, a horse coral. That's what it is, a horse coral. And you're basically amongst thousands of male horses, no females over there. Because Torah is God's communication to us. God is communicating his ideas through these words. The words of Torah are the horses which are God ascending to us, so they're called male horses. When you're going into shul and you have people sitting there, let's say it's 100 people in the shul and they're all saying hundreds of words when they're praying, they're all praying, you are in a quarrel with thousands and thousands of female horses. You're amongst the female horses because it's our this prayer is our stimulation. We are speaking to God what's in our heart. Prayer is not about what God is saying. It's about what we're saying. We're praising him. We're calling for him. We're awakening him. We're yearning for him. But the prayer is, and that's the concept of male horses and female horses. Now, I'm going to stop for one moment and add one more important point. One of the things about the, I mean, just general idea, we can kind of dismiss the horses and just talk about male and female. Why do we have to talk so much about the horse? Who really cares about the horses? Male and female. Male is uh, our our yearning for God is feminine yearning, feminine feminine desire. God channeling His light to us is masculine uh, is masculine um, lights. It's it's a it's a down mass. Feminine is uploading and 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 masculine is downloading. He's channeling His lights to us. What are we emphasizing the horses? And that goes to what we were saying earlier. It's not just us rising towards God and God responding to us. That's in general, male and female. But it's the horse element that's very important in our, in our Jewish experience. Because we translate everything into words. And we make a very big deal about words. And if we were to take the words out and say, forget about the words. It's not important to talk. Why the words? Let's all do meditation. Let's pray through meditation. Let's go into, into shul every, every Shabbos morning or Friday night is the real time of elevation. Friday night is the time. And let's deep within our soul experience, awaken within ourselves a deep yearning for God. And our souls are like, like, a, like a woman yearning for her husband. So it would be this, 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 this deep feeling of, of, of powerful soul desire. Our soul, like King David says, my soul is pining for you. My soul is expiring for you. But it should all be in a manner of silence. Don't say any words. Maybe if you want to sing a tune, the song helps you rise. This song is the Shabbos of song, really. It is song so sing in your brain don't say words just sing a tune no letters no words and then when you're learning torah also first of all you can make it like torah should be like a quiet library everybody sits quietly no one is saying loud the words just 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 have thought or in other words can maybe perhaps we can channel the concepts of the divine 
Torah is Hashem's insights, but not so, it shouldn't be so wordy. Why the words? It should be primarily the ideas, the concepts should come into our heads. Download the ideas, download the, 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 the why words? And the answer is, that's where we come back to horses. Horses are animals, then they're much lower than the human. But yet we know that uh, when you try to go somewhere and you try to go there by yourself, it'll take you a very long time and there's only that far that you can reach. But you hop on on a horse, you can get there much faster and it also can take you to on, on difficult terrain that you, can't, that you yourself couldn't walk, but the horse can go. Horses have the ability to climb pr to pretty difficult terrain, both steep terrain, up or down, and so on and so forth. So the horses can take you at enormous speed and enormous power, far more where you can go on your own. And therefore it says in the in this in these memorandum that we're learning about now, it doesn't say it in this particular discourse, but in the uh, the reason why Judaism is so fixated on speaking words is because the most powerful part of our prayer is the actual words that we're saying. The words that you're saying basically are the horses. And he says when you, when you went, that's why the Balshemta says, get into the, get onto that horse, get into that word. Lock your feet around every word of prayer, like your horse riding and hold on to the horse. You know why? Because the horse will gallop. I don't know. Last time you went horseback riding, I remember I was a couple of two years ago. I was in Costa Rica, and and you know you you go over here in on uh, in American uh, places, so they they have like oh they have so much. What's it called? You have to fire, uh, fill out a million forms, and and this to 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 like you know uh, what's it called again that you're you're not holding anybody responsible, exonerate, fine this, and they they give you all this protection and they lead you out with a whole group, and you know. It's one thing. But when you go to Costa Rica, you meet some some guy out there in the middle. He pulls up his horses in the middle. He sits you on the horses and no instruction, no nothing, no filling out papers. And you go. And this guy, I remember it was him, me and my wife. Got, and there was this horse, the horse, the, the guy together with his son. I didn't speak. They didn't speak a word of English. I didn't speak a word of Spanish. And we're going with them. Before you know it, they're galloping. And I'm sitting there and I'm almost dying from fear. As the horse is running and we're gathering. <laughs> My wife's horse ran off completely in a whole different direction. We lost her. <laughs> we had to go find her. It was a crazy story. So the 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 idea that you know the thrill and the movement, the energy you feel when the horse starts galloping and you're moving like you're first it trots and then it moves, like whoa, you're holding on for dear life. So what it says in the mimer is. When you sit and meditate from within yourself and you come within your own being into a, a quest and a yearning for God, you will only reach to whatever you will reach. But the words, if you're, if you're not just meditating, but you're actually saying holy words, you're saying the words, the words themselves start galloping because the words of prayer have energy and power much more than your soul has within itself to rise up to high places. Now, you can't just rely on the words. Say, you know what? I'm going to shut my brain down, my heart down. I'm not going to be participating. I'm just going to be sitting on this horse and let the horse ride. Let the words take me without me. That's not either good. You got to put yourself into it. You got to really be cognizant and involved and, and meditate and get into it. 
But meditation with verbalization of words is going to take you so much further than silent meditation without the words. Counterintuitive, because most people think that if you meditate, you've just come to a state of silence. Jewish meditation is, yes, prayer is a time of meditation. And at times, yes, silence is good. But mostly, it's supposed to be with the saying of the words. Because the words have power to rise higher than where the person's mind are, just like the horse can take you further. So feminine horses are our horses of prayer, which these horses of prayer can lead us to extremely, extremely high levels of divinity where would we never be able to reach without those words. But the female horses, they're only a prerequisite and they're an introduction to the male horses. Because what we really, really want is not only that we should desire God, not only we should yearn for him, but that God should answer our desire and fill our soul with his light. He should communicate himself into us. We want a divine response. We want to talk to God, but we hope that one that 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 at the other end he starts talking back to us. So when he responds and communicates back to us, those are the male horses. And the way it works, the sages say, is the man will go after the woman. The woman needs to go first. God is not going to not interested in communicating with us if we're not first requesting it. If there's no thirsty recipient. There is no, there's no provider that will provide and fill. You know, I feel where there is a need, where there is a want, where there is a desire, then there is, then there is a flow. So now let's read inside. Um, the two types of horses, the cave is the female and the males, the arousal from below, and the arousal from above. The arousal from below, they're called female horses. And the arousal from above, are called male horses. And now he explains. The lower worlds, the lower worlds, in general, the lower worlds means the worlds. But primarily, the lower worlds means the creation worlds. We were learning a lot about this in the Basil Lagani discourse this week, that yesterday and the day before. We're talking about the major differentiation that there is between the upper worlds and the lower world, the infinite worlds and the finite world, the worlds that are completely swallowed up in the divine and the worlds that are already in a state of creation. So when he says lower worlds, he means primarily the created state. The created state is not God. And therefore, it is a vessel that doesn't have anything unless God provides. It's a creation. A creation doesn't have anything of its own. It needs to receive from the boss. It needs to receive from the source, from God. So the lower worlds, Nikroim, Bishem, Nukva, they're called female. Khenas Makabel, because what is female? What is what is woman? Is Makabel is a recipient. Just like the woman is receiving from the male. So through the lower world, is receiving its influence from above. 
Shuubchen is dechar, which is male. So the female is a recipient to receive the influence coming from above. Hine now behold. Kemoi Just like the female that is receiving influence from the male. There needs to be first the awakening of the female first to stimulate her husband, to stimulate her provider, whatever it is. And through this, then the male will give to her if she wants, if she's seeking, if she's looking. If she's open, if she's interested, if she, especially if she has a, uh, the, 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 God says to, to Eve, to your husband will, will be your desire. So if there is a desire from the woman to the man, by a day and through this, the man is then transmitting to her. Sages say that it's a, 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 simply it means, the sages are teaching us an interesting thing that a man is obligated to seek a wife. A wife is not obligated to seek a husband. That's the simple meaning. That the 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 uh, that in in um, a man has to make uh, uh, whatever efforts he is to go find his. And the sages say why? But they say because the woman is the is the rib of the man, and when you and and that was kind of lost. He lost a piece of himself. And when and when you lose something, the the lost object doesn't look for the for the owner. The owner looks for the object they lost. So the sages say it's that's where it's the male's job to go find his wife, because he lost her. He has to go find her. That's the simple meaning. But in that case, it would seem to imply that the seeker is him. He's seeking her, not she's seeking him. But the deeper meaning, the way the Alter Rebbe is learning it, ki ish. It's the it's the way of the man to go after the woman. In other words, when there's a woman there first, when there is a when there is a, a vessel, when there is a recipient, when there is a, a recipient that says give, then the man then the man can come and give. As the man can transmit, the provider will provide only when there is a there is a there is someone who needs to be provided to. And therefore it's with God as well. If we open up and we say I'm here, I'm a vessel, I'm waiting, I'm a container. I want your light. God doesn't impose. God is not impose. You want to live your life and ignore God completely? Fine, do your thing. But if you decide that you want God in your life and you're seeking God, and, the, and how do you do that? Through prayer, through meditation, through prayer and so forth. You're seeking to, to look and you're seeking for godly, for godly light. So through the prayer, God will respond. Kamoi came the same through the arousal from below when the lower worlds with which are considered the female when they send up an arousal from below which means they send up their female horses upward which means we send a prayer we send a whole group of horses upward which these are female horses in which these are recipients, this awakens. So this awakens the influence from above. That is what 
this awakens the male horses. The male horses in our context means God shining himself down, downloading his light down to us through words, through holy words, which are the horses that are carrying. Okay. So now that we know that God is the male and we're the woman, and our reaching to him are the female horses, and his response to us are the male horses. Now he's going to take it one step further, and he's going to explain. Within the divine itself, there is the male of the divine and the female of the divine. And we spoke about this earlier. We said world is the female. God is the male because he's the provider. But there is a part of God that's, that, is, that becomes part of the world. And that is the invested energy that God invested into the creation called Shekhinah. That is, that becomes, she becomes invested and very much part of creation. And in that sense, she's, the Shekhinah is female. Now, part of becoming, being female for her is that she is a recipient. What does it mean she's a recipient? Because her light was contracted and contracted and contracted so that she can fit into the world, that she can become a soul to the finite creation and not overwhelm and destroy the creation. So God had to reduce her light. This is hinted to in the fact that God reduced the moon. Initially, when God created the moon, the moon was just as, as big as the sun. Then it says God shrunk the moon and he made her small. And she to the point where she doesn't even have her own light. She's just a reflector of the sun. So that's this this literally this idea that God shrinks the feminine element of himself that becomes part of the creation. He shrinks it to become finite and limited. Now, once she's finite and she's limited and she's bedded in creation, even though this is still this is Hashem, this is God, but God, as he's manifesting within the world, she becomes female she's female and as a result of that she needs continuously to engage her husband who's her husband her husband is the level of the divine the infinite light of god that is not contracted and has not been diminished she needs to just like the moon needs to reach to the sun to get light from the sun to shine the moon the shekhinah doesn't have any power to give anything to the world to provide any sustenance to the world unless she first receives it from the infinite source. In that sense, she's the woman, but how does she wake up her husband to pay attention to her? She sends him some female horses. So the Shekhinah herself stimulates her husband through female horses. And what does that mean? She, she speaks to her husband with words. She cries out, she prays. The Shekhinah prays, just like we have to daven. What's the soul of all prayer? Who's the one really daven? When we daven, who are we really tuning into? In another discourse, the Alter Rebbe explains the meaning when King Solomon says, Shid hashidim asher The song of songs that is to Shlomo. What does it mean, the song of songs? So the Alter Rebbe says that when we are praying, we are all singing a song. But our real intention needs to be that we should join in the cosmic yearning. We are all little pieces of yearning, little pieces of soul. But when we pray, we should really open ourselves up to a much deeper prayer. 
The entire universe is crying. The soul of creation is, is reaching and singing and yearning. So our song should like piggyback, I don't want to say piggyback, but like kind of that idea. Jump onto the back of the Shekhinah and together we should together yearn together and cry. That's that's the real way of praying. So much so the Alter Rebbe says that at a certain point in prayer, it shouldn't be any more your talking, your own desire. Your heart should become so dissolved into the Shekhinah's yearning that at a certain point, your words are not you yearning. The Shekhinah is talking through you. King David is speaking through you. You know, when we say Tehillim at the end of that of prayer of every of every chapter, we say, let it be considered my prayer as if King David said it. And we say that every time. King David is the soul, the feminine soul of the Shekhinah. And he authored the book of Psalms. Our prayers have to suddenly get, the, the ultimate way of prayer is that you become so identified with the higher with the higher existence with the all embracing with the everything that exists and you and you and, and your song and your prayer and your yearning is just or may let's put it this way your heart is just a funnel for the higher prayer that's coming through your heart you joined along it's like a little droplet of water that went into the source and now it becomes part of the bigger water or a little spark that joins the greater fire So earlier we were saying that our arousal from the actual creation, and when we stimulate, when we're, when we're reaching for God, that's called our words that convey that are called female horses. But that's the, that's the micro. Then there is a macro. What's the macro? The soul of all of creation called the Shekhinah, which is humongous. <laughs> it, she enlivens all worlds, but yet, to compared to God, she's the small moon, and she yearns to her husband. And when she, and 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 okay, and Malchus So this is where he starts off right now. So it's interesting to us. This is an important idea. To us, the Shechina is not female. To us, the Shechina is male in the sense that the Shekhinah is our provider. It's the soul of creation. She's the provider to us. Now, as a provider, she's male. But towards her husband, which is the infinite light, she's the female. So what the way, the way it works is the Shekhinah as a woman cries out and, and, and yearns for her. She sends up female horses towards her husband. Her communication of words, of desire to reach her infinite source and to draw down from there. He channels back words, godly words from the infinite to the Shekhinah. When she receives it, then she turns around and she becomes a masculine force to us, channeling all the influence down to us. Okay. Now, the this... The Shekhinah that we were talking about has, we mentioned earlier, is also referred to as Malchut. Shekhinah is Malchut, which is the last of the ten attributes. Ten, And where are the ten attributes? In the world of emanation, in the world of Atsilos. That's the divine world. The Shekhinah is the last one, the tail end of the supernal man, 
the woman, the female element of the man, which goes down into the creation. That's the malchus. Malchus datzilus, the malchus of the world of atzilus, which we call shechina, misla beshet, misla beshet, she enclothes herself, bibiya, into the three lower worlds. Bria, yetzir, and asiya. Bia, which means the world of creation, which is bria. The world of formation, which is yetzia. Yetzira. And finally, the world of of uh, completion, which is Asiya, which is our material world. Which the lower three worlds is considered, I'm sorry, which Asiya is considered the lowest level. And I don't know if you mean means I think all three worlds. And he's not, he's not differentiating just, just the lowest world. All three worlds in general are called the lowest level because it's already a state of disconnect. It's a state of creation. It's a state of real finite. It's it's real real um, finitude and so forth. Azai, um, and therefore she is continuously rising. She's continuously rising and seeking to attach herself to the lights, to the state, to the existence of Atsilus. What's Atsilus? Bria Yitzir and Asiya are already a state of creation, which means a state of something other than God, which is real. There's an element of finite. Our physical world, he's going to say this actually soon. Our physical world for sure is finite. As, as awesomely endless that it seems to be the universe, it still has an end. The, 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 even the spiritual world that's above our world, which is much, much, much higher and far more impressive and far more... It's still fine. And even above that, two notches above, which is the world of Bria, is also fine. But above that is the fourth world, which is the world of Atsilos. The world of Atsilos is called an ain't self world. In it resides infinity. So the Shekhinah that gets locked into the three lower worlds feels very claustrophobic for an infinite being, for a spark of the infinite. To be locked into the fire, finitude, that's 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 horrific. That's being in, literally it's being in a prison. So she's constantly yearning and seeking to attach herself to the infinite light, to rise up into the infinite. So the 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 oila, she's continuously rising, this oida to awaken Lamaila to go upward, She wants to attach herself to her husband which is the infinite presence of God as he is manifesting in the world of Atsilos. Lekabel, in order to receive hashpa momayla, to receive influence from above. Kamoisha Kosov, like it says, Elohim, it's a verse in Psalms and Tehillim. Elohim, which, which the name of Elohim is associated with Shekhinah. I said earlier the name of Aleph Dalit Nun Yud is associated with Shechina, but Elohim and Aleph Dalit Nun Yud are in many ways interchangeable, that they both stand for the same level. Elohim and Aleph, they're both the idea of Din. Remember, I said Aleph Dalit Yud is Din. Elohim, we know, is the Midah of judgment, the attribute of judgment. So we say regarding Elohim, Elohim, the power of Shechina, Al Damilach, don't be silent. Meaning, don't for, don't ever get satisfied with being, you know, within here. Always rise up. Always yearn because we want you always to draw the infinite blessing. So Elokim al damilach, do not be silent. And what does that mean? 
Why do we have to tell the Shekhinah, don't be silent? Because we too are all sparks of the infinite. And naturally we yearn for the infinite, but when a person is in prison for such a long time, and every day they wait and 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 they cry and they say, and they cry, they want to get out, they want to get out, they want to get out, want to get out, but that that your yearnings aren't necessarily fulfilled. What can happen? After a while, they stop crying and they stop yearning. So we say to the Shekhinah, we know you're in exile for thousands of years already, for 2,000 years, but don't give up. Do not stop that yearning. Continuously seek the infinite. Seek the infinite. Don't. We got to watch ourselves also that we shouldn't get, God forbid, because we wait for Mashiach so long and it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. It didn't happen yet. For all, for all the waiting and all that, sometimes you see people checking out. You met them a year ago. They were so fired up for Mashiach. And now I can't. Fire isn't there. So David HaMelech reminds us, don't, don't fall into the trap of like kind of making peace with this, with this limited existence, with this constricted existence. This is, not, this is not your truth. This is not the real deal. The Rebbe, you see, never stop. Always. Never stop demanding Mashiach. More and more and more. A force just never, always thirstier and thirstier. Not a moment of forgetting. Got to watch out for that. Don't be silent. And then there's another verse in the end, the last Pasuk and chapter Lamed in Tehillim, in Psalm, Psalm, Psalm uh, 30. What does is, what is David HaMelech say in the end? That your honor will sing for you. What does it mean your honor will sing for you? A kavod, honor will sing for you. Shechina is called kavod. Kavod malchuscha yemeiro. Malchut is called kavod. Kavod means honor. The, the shechina is the honor, is the kingdom, the kingship of God. It's called the honor. So we say leman yizar mercha. The kingship of God is always singing. What is song? When a person is singing, you know they're alive. When your song stops, it's trouble. Sign of life and of yearning, because song is really yearning. So the shechin is always yearning, yearning for 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 light. Okay, this is all very important to Shabbos, because the Shabbos is the Shabbos of song. Shabbos Shira, keep the song going. Laman that covered is always singing. So this is the idea that the female is always yearning for her husband. This is called the arousal from below. And through this arousal, it actually ha it has impact because these vibrations of these yearnings are sensed by the by the provider. It's sensed by the infinite, and God responds, and He comes down. Now this causes automatically this this is what triggers an arousal from above. That the infinite light, there is an influence of the divine light directed downwards to the Shekhinah. What this means, if you give it, if you give it an imagery, the sun directs light to the moon. Hakadish Baruchu, the infinite masculine light of God that has never lowered itself down into the creation, that is still in the infinite realm, 
channels his influence into her so that she can now be refreshed with infinite light, with an infinite download, with an infinite transmission. And then once she has it, she can take it and illuminate all of her creations. And what happens in the higher spheres, once the Shekhinah is illuminated with light, suddenly she is suddenly invigorated with so much energy and so much light and she shout and she channels it down and all of the angels above and all the all the souls are filled with enlightenment filled with godly with a, with a certain burst of light from the infinite world from the infinite place and suddenly their lives are so enriched and so enhanced and so right simply it means that in the higher worlds they're filled with new torah new torah comes like a Torah means a, a new enlightenment. When the Shekhinah is enlightened with, with new light, that makes a tzaddik have suddenly new Torah insight. New idea, and, so, and, and then that comes down and that, and that enhances all of creation, all of the world. All that channeling, of, but it has to come first through a yearning. So there should be an influence into Malchus of Atsilus. Yeah, you know, if we, this week we learned Basilagani. So you can see this literally happening. In the Basilagani, we, we, I discussed this a lot during the discourse. So first of all, for the entire year after the previous Rebbe passed away, the, the Chassidim didn't, the Rebbe was refusing to be their Rebbe. And the Chassidim could not bear the fact that they won't have a Rebbe. They needed a Rebbe. Previous Rebbe passed away, so the Chassidim were writing and petitioning and begging, doing exactly this work. Sending the female horses, begging and pestering. And the Rebbe was rejecting that they didn't leave go. Again and again and again and again and again. Finally, the Rebbe, uh, uh, get, you know, accepted but when he said the discourse, he downloaded himself from all the previous rabbis. That's what I was talking about when we were learning the discourse, how he actually is downloading from every single one of the rabbis. He's bringing from the Bolshemtov. He's bringing from the, because the Rebbe himself is the sphere of Malchus, which is the, which is the, the, the last of the spheros of the Atzilus. He's the embodiment of Shekhinah. <clears throat> Therefore, yes, to us, he's the male, but to the previous generations, he's the female, meaning driving like King David in his place, taking the energy from them and then passing it down till the time of Mashiach. When it comes to the time of Mashiach, the female rises above her husband. In other words, there is a, 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 a elevation from Malchus to the highest level, to the highest level. But as it's positioned within the system, the female energy, which is Shekhinah, receives first from all. Once she receives, she can bestow. So you see, after the Rebbe says Basilikani, he has all this enormous energy, this infinite energy to go ahead and with us and through us change the world enlighten all the crevices of creation sending his emissaries out to bring inspiration energy holiness light blessings help miracles across the whole world so imagine a world with all without all that godly input Imagine a world, God forbid, without all that godly input that came from 57, 51, when the Rebbe became Rebbe. Imagine if that would not have happened. Where would Judaism be? Where would life be? Where would everything? Everything would be so dead. The world would be a dead world. 
now came so you can see this literally so you have the, the, this this rising of of Shekhinah upward to receive the infinite light and with that energy it looks like okay just a little it's not a little energy a little bit of the infinite of that download changes the dynamics of everything brings an enrichment of light and energy and blessing to the world that is way beyond because we receive a touch of the infinite and then there is enormous affluence when we say affluence i mean affluence in the material but affluence in the spiritual and in everything so again so through this that the shekhinah is first singing and yearning and rising upward so that's the feminine horses female horses that causes an arousal from above that there should be an in, a, 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 a influence of the divine into Malchus of Atzilus. And therefore she returns. Now she returns to her constituents, to her, to her, uh, those who are relying on her, and she encloses herself. She encloses itself in Avram's Neshama. In Yitzchak's neshama, that means she starts providing to the holy souls. It's interesting that he doesn't that he you'll see it twice in the memory emphasized. She brings the light down to Avram. Why is he emphasizing Avram? All creations. Avram over here is referring to Avram's neshama in the world of Bria, not in the world of Atzilus, because the world of Atzilus, Avram is higher than Shechina because he's Chesed. Chesed is above Malchus. But we're talking about in creation, there is Avram's neshama. So she brings, but I guess the reason he's emphasizing Avram is because Avram is the first recipient, because Avram is chesed. Then comes Yitzhak, then, then comes all their children and all the neshamas and all souls. Everybody's receiving from the mother, which is the Shekhinah. But again, she first needs to receive, and then she needs, and then she gives. I'm just laughing because I'm sorry, this is just. There is a chassid of the Rebbe. His name was Rabbi Avram Paris. The Rebbe's chassid. And he was an enormous chassid. He's just an incredible, incredible, great man. He, he was the instigator of the entire Mashiach drive on Lubavitch, was Avram Paris. He was already making pamphlets in, 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 in uh, 1960. He was dropping from a, a helicopter in Israel pamphlets saying the Rebbe is Mashiach. <laughs> he was just a, he was unbelievable. And the Rebbe said that if you're not, the Rebbe said you better go and collect every piece of paper that was dropped all over. But right before he became, right before he, he, the Rebbe became Rebbe, a day before, the Rebbe wrote a letter to him. This is printed the day before Yutchva. The Rebbe writes. The Rebbe writes to him, Rebbe Avram. The Rebbe writes. The Rebbe writes to Rebbe Avram a day before the Rebbe officially becomes Rebbe. He writes, Rebbe Avram. Medarf We got to bring the Rebbe back. That's what he writes. Rebbe Avram. We need to bring the Rebbe back, meaning referring to his father in law. Basically, he passed away, but you know what? That's not fair. So we got to bring it back down here. Just because he passed away, he, he, he has to stay. That way it was nice. He took a little rest stop. You know, he went off a little bit. Now we got to bring him back. He says, Val, these are the words he writes to him in Yiddish. Valazoi is zu schwer famir und fadir. I think fadir or for eich. 
Like this, it's too difficult for me and too difficult for you. Un ver hatanov derfun. And who has and who has benefits from this? Who benefits from this absence? Who benefits? So the Rebbe is saying, I, 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 you know what? We got to bring that. We have no choice. We got to bring the Rebbe back then. He wrote this a day before. So hold it. The next day he becomes Rebbe. So the next day he doesn't need his father alone. What happened? A day before he writes to Rebbe Avram. He says, it's the lazoi is too schwer for me and Fadir. It's too hard if we don't. The answer is, he says, we got to bring my father-in-law down. And the next day when the Rebbe became Rebbe, he did bring his father-in-law back down because his father-in-law's neshama became enclosed in him. The Rebbe said many times, Nishmasaibi, his soul is in me. That, the, the, that really all the Rabbeim is one neshama. It's one soul of Rebbe. It's one, it's a, one, one soul of, 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 and he said, so we got to bring the neshama back down. That's like the moon saying, When she gives it to his Avram, so he's hinting to Avram Paris. <laughs> he was the chassid that the Rebbe writes. We got to bring the Rebbe down, and then the next day he actually brought him down. And I'm sure he's the first recipient was this Rebbe Avram. In the minor, he says the first one he's going to give the light to. Uh, look at this. He singles out. He says souls, but the singles out one soul from all the souls. He singles out one soul first, Avram. <laughs> Uh, once she receives the light, she returns and she encloses herself into Avram that's Chesed. And then she encloses and channels and downloads that light into all the Nishamas, into all the souls. And then in, into all the angels, like we learned yesterday. What did we learn yesterday in the discourse? That the souls are the innermost of creation. The angels are the middle part of creation. And the worlds, time and space, and the actual worlds themselves, and all the other creatures are the external of the external. So first the Shekhinah delivers it to the souls, then to the angels, and then finally to what? To the, to the, um, to the, to the rest of the world. So there can be a revelation of an influence, into the three lower worlds, into creation. So now creation is filled with a great illumination of infinite light. In Bria Yitzir and Asi. But how does it always come? That means that God's input, God's download is always related to how we seek him. He's measure for measure. The way we seek him, that's how he responds. Because not every time we're seeking in the same manner. Sometimes we seek like this, and sometimes we seek like that. And an, and an equivalence and commensurate to the way we ask and search, in that way, God responds. And therefore, sometimes the elevation of the Shekhinah, the elevation of kingship, is in a manner of a song. Like it says, I will sing to Hashem. What does that mean? That's the Shekhinah saying, Ashira, I will sing. La Havaya. Havaya is the masculine light. The lights, the infinite light of Atsilos. It's called Yudke Vavke. So the Shekhinah is saying, Ashira, I will sing. I will evoke. I will stimulate. I will cry out through a song. A song called Ashira. It's called Shira. 
And when? And when we reach out through a shira, how does God respond? When we sing to God, God sings back to us. It's like a duet of a woman and a man. She sings first to him, and then he responds with his song. So in prayer, you see, in the in our liturgy, you see that sometimes it says shira, and sometimes it says shir. Shir is a male song, shir chadash. It says, we will say before, shir chadash, a new song. And other times it's shira chadasha, female song. So female song is the shechina singing. When the shechina sings to God, God sings back to her. And that is, when she is extending her desire through a shira, so then his response is through a shir. But at other times, her the, 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 the flavor of her yearning and her elevation is not called shira, it's called zimra. Shira v'zimra. There is now generally in, 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 on, the, on, 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 a, on a more um, in the general thing, shira and zimra is the same thing. Song and 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 tune and sing, but more specifically, it's different. Sometimes it explains that shira is a song with from your mouth, vocal cords, vocal singing. And um, like a cappella music, just 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 vocals, just people singing. And zimra is with musical instruments. So sometimes the shira, the the, the shechina grabs a flute and she sings. Sometimes she's she takes a harp like King David and she sings with with musical instrument. Sometimes she's she's playing, vocalizing her song. As she reaches above, that's how God responds, either through a shir or through a zemer. So he says so. And at times her elevation is in a manner of zimra, like that other verse. It says that the shechina, which is called kavod, will be yizamru is singing to you, but yizamerka is singing to Hashem in a manner of zemer, like we say, singing zemiros. Shabbos there is zemiros. You sing zemiros. And at times. It's less songy. It's just more like a petition. It would be more like just bepchenes bakasha. It's a bakasha, a request. We find that by Esther. Esther is also the shechina. She's coming to Achashverosh, the story of Purim. It says she'ela si ubakasha si, my request and my petition. So the shechina sometimes is also like we say in davening. We say lecha amar libi. For your sake, my heart says, Bakshu pan, I seek my face. As panecha Hashem avakesh, I am seeking, I'm looking. So that's not song, but it's also a form of seeking. And then, So the hashpa from above always mimics and always reflects the, 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 the way that the that the um the arousal from below. Because the arousal from above, is always in accordance to the way your is from below. Now this experience, the gen this is really this we got a little bit into detail, but the general experience of Shina yearning to rise 
feeling inadequate, feeling stifled, feeling constricted within creation, seeking the input of her husband of the infinite light, that experience of her rising upward and then receiving light, that's called the exodus. That's called going out of Egypt. Because Egypt is when we're stuck in the finite world, when we're stuck in the limitations. When we're comfortable in just being a physical human being in this physical world and satisfied with reality the way it is. It might be that we're so happy with it, but that shows on a real pathetic state. We become so sunken into limitations and boundaries that we think that all, all that there is. Imagine taking a human being who once lived uh, a little child. Imagine, imagine abducting a little baby, a princess who was who lived in a who who should if she had never been abducted, she would have lived in the most expansive palace with unbelievable gardens and 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 rivers and pools and, and like forests. Everything is part of the of the palace, magnificent and spatial and vistas that you can see from miles and miles. Beautiful, everything palace. And this little child gets taken away when she's a little baby and puts into a little uh, four by four house, a little hut, a little mud, a mud thing. And imagine if she stops seeking and yearning for anything else, she starts becoming comfortable and happy and think that's all that there is. But to life, that's, that's pathetic. So for our souls to make peace with the finite, with the, so we're saying over here, and this is called going out of Egypt. Why? Because Egypt doesn't only mean a country. Egypt doesn't didn't only mean uh, the labor camps. Egypt was not only like uh, the ancient Auschwitz, God forbid, or Treblinka, things like that, God forbid. Egypt on the, on the physical level, layer, it was something like that. That's what it was, slave labor camps where people were murdered every day by the masses. But the spiritual dynamics of Egypt also exist on a much higher level, but yet they're still Egypt. Because the three lower worlds, Bria, Yetzir, and Asiya, just because they are not God, they are creation, that itself makes them called Egypt. Are called Egypt. Because they are narrow, narrow, narrowness, constraints, and limitations. Why? And he explains as follows. The lowest world that we inhabit, the physical world, the world of completion, is literally is literally limited. Both in space and in time. The sages said the sages say that this world is is due to expire after seven thousand years. Six thousand years the way it is, and then seven thousand, the seventh millennium is, is the world to come, and so much light, and, and then it expires. Now, as we explained many times, that would be the state of the world if we wouldn't have Torah and mitzvahs, it expires. But since we have Torah and mitzvahs and we bring the infinite into the world, then the world's we bring the infinite into the finite and the finite dissolves into the infinite and it goes on being forever. But in it of itself, it is a finite existence both in time and also in space. As the sages go through the size of the creation, 500 years to the first heaven, another 500 years, whatever they mean 500 years, 500 years, what is 500 years on what? On a, on, a, on a spaceship, on a 500 years on a, 
there's no explanation. It's this, this, the sages are speaking in riddles, but they say 500 years to the first time. Eh, but they give a measure. There is a measure to the to the universe. Uh, but he says that's for sure. It goes without saying that our world is is finite. But even a higher dimension, the world of the angels, Ubriya, and the world of the souls, the world of creation, which is way above even the world of angels. Even though they're not really as finite as our world, they're in a state, they have a bchina. Bchina means there is an, they too are within the condition of finitude. It's interesting. Our world, he says, it is gvul mamish, and they, he says, says are in a state bchina's gvul. It's interesting. That's the difference of mamish and bchina's gvul, but there's still, meaning it doesn't, meaning, I guess he's meaning it doesn't have the same types of it's not physical limitations, but what's their limitation? The limitation is there's only that much that they can comprehend. There is a measure of how they are. These are beings with enormous minds, and they can understand enormous, enormously the divine, but there's that which they can comprehend and that which is beyond their, they cap out at a certain point where it's beyond their understanding, which means there's a limit. That mean, and that limits them. And the reason they are limited, since they're not an extension of the divine, since at a certain point in the evolving order of the divine light, it evolves from level to level, and all the levels are still divine until it reaches the bottom of the world of Atsilus, of the fourth of Atsilus, which is the highest world, the highest world closest to us. They say the... Atzilus, when it reaches the floor of Olam Atzilus, which is Malchus of Atzilus, when it reaches over there, there is a massive barrier. We spoke about it yesterday also in the discourse, Basel Ligani. We spoke about the word Af that creates that barrier. It kind of cuts off the divine. From here and onward is creation. Creation meaning that, that in the minds of the, in the consciousness of the creatures and of the beings, they see themselves not as God, but as something other than God. Once you, you're not an extension of God anymore, then you lost touch with the infinite. Then you're already locked into a measured existence. So, so that's it. They are creatures who came into existence from non-existence. And therefore, anything that comes into being from non-existence, from once was not and then becomes, has a measure to its existence. And even the innermost point of the highest of the three worlds, which is the supernal Ganeden, which Ganeden is above the rest of the world. It's the inner point of the world. And therefore, it is far more godlier and far more in Ganeden. There's much greater divine consciousness than there is in the rest of the world. But yet he says, since it's part of the world of creation, it's also finite. And even the supernal Ganeden Shebebriya that's in the world of Bria. And the lower Ganeden that's in the world of Yetzirah. So, and of course, the lower Ganeden that's in Yetzirah. It's all limited. Which, and therefore, it's all part of Egypt. Which is not the case with the world of emanation. What does the what differentiates the world of emanation from the three lower worlds is that it does not have separate consciousness. 
it is still considered God. And since it's God, it's infinite. It's called a world that is ain't soft, that is infinite. Why? Because the extension of the infinite light into the world of Atsilus is manifest in an infinite way, in a, in a, in a believable legal way. Why? Because what? Also, a concept we learned in the Basilagani Maimer. Because he and his life forces and he and his containers are one, which is referring to both the lights of the Sphirot. They're called the life forces, and the vessels of the spherot of Atsilas, they're both and they're a continuation of God's oneness. They're all still one with him. Bahai. And therefore they're infinite. That's why Atsilus is not Egypt. Atsilus is already considered ain't self. Rakma Atsilus Labriya. But once you pass the barrier from Atsilus to Bria, where there is a cutoff over there, there is a barrier. Nasa Hefsika Parsa. There is a, the, this is what, over there, there is already a, a, a state of detachment, a disconnect, which comes about through the partition, vahamaka, and there is a fence, vahagag, and there is a roof. Shalzehem, you know, because the, the Torah says that around your roof, you should fence it off. So according to the spiritual meaning, it means that there's a certain point that there is a fence, and it fences off the difference, the finite existence from the infinite existence. Which that makes and allows for our creation to exist, which is finite. Now, for most people, they don't really don't care being part of the finite world, especially if you can explore and have a whole lot to still get in the finite. But someone who appreciates and meditates a little bit and thinks a little bit and gets in touch with their soul and realizes that their soul is of the divine and therefore in essence of the infinite, yearns to get out of Egypt. When we sing and yearn together with the Shekhinah, we achieve going out of Egypt. Because when we pray and we want to connect to the infinite light, God opens us up to the infinite and he downloads into us his, his light. And that is supposed to happen every day when we say the Shema. When we say the Shema, we, we first meditate on God's infinite transcendence and his oneness and how creation doesn't capture anything of God's infinity. It's nothing. And therefore we realize how foolish and silly it is that we make such a big deal that we're so caught up in everything that there is in creation when all this is is really nothing. And the true is is just right behind us, is right behind a partition that we can't, that we can't touch and we can't feel. And it starts driving us insane of how stuck we are in this, in this, in this imaginary, um, a limited existence that is such a, from the real perspective is so nothing and how we're caught up and literally all day long seeking more nothingness instead of paying attention to what the real something is, which is God. And when we feel that and when we meditate that, we yearn to break that, to break that barrier and to go out of Egypt. And that's what happens when we say va'ahafta. In Shema, we say God is one. We recognize that all of creation is utterly nothing in, compared to the inf, in, in, to, to him. Then we yearn, we yearn with a powerful desire to break out of Egypt. When we yearn, God responds. There's no such a thing as a soul yearning where God doesn't respond. So when we yearn and when we have the vahafta, I'm loving God, my God, and I want to connect to him, God responds. That's the second part of the Shema. 
is talking about the download. Second part of the Shema, if you listen to my mitzvahs, then I command you, God is downloading already himself into us. The first part of the Shema is us rising upward, and then God is downloading. And once God is downloading, and now each and every one of us can be completely redefined. Instead of us being a creation, existing in the finite world, we can start becoming an emissary and a conduit for infinite light to, to, to travel through us. Then even though we're still in a body and we're still within the finite context, but we're no more holders of finite energy, we are transmitters and 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 um, and uh, con conduits through which infinite energy is flowing through us. We're serving the divine and we're not finite. We're not in Egypt anymore. Because we have now become divine because we melt into his truth instead of us being us. And he's communicating through us. And that's why by the end of the Shema, what do we say? I am God, your God, that I've taken you out of Egypt. When? 3,000 years ago? No, today, right now, when you pray, you're not in Egypt anymore. And then you can go about the rest of your day functioning as a divine being, sharing divine inspiration to everybody you meet, and just being a conduit to God. And even, even providing a miracle here and a miracle there. Because once you are once you're, are a conduit for, for God, then you're not locked in nature anymore. Ever wonder why some days are miraculous? And things happen like that you, that based on a, yeah. Because when you're in service of God, there are no limitations anymore. The limitations and the boundaries of the world don't hold up for you. That's why a tzaddik, a rebbe, a big tzaddik, is, can perform miracles. Not because he's Superman. Because he rises beyond himself to stop being busy with the foolish little squeak of self. Instead, becomes a conduit to the real being. And when that happens, then you're no more finite. Then you're, then you're just extending God's energy. God's infinite. And then you're not in Egypt. And if you're a real tzaddik, you help other people as well to get, they, they too should get out of Egypt. They too, you inspire them to become conduits until all of creation becomes one flow and one channel of infinite light. And then we redefine creation because we change the, the three lower worlds of creation that they too should become included in Atsilos, which is a world of emanation, which is still an emanation of God. And we are able to extend that all the way down to the physical, that the physical is also just an emanation of God. Once we switch to consciousness, and then we make a finite world infinite. Super cool. And we went out of Egypt. Vehine, Amen, as all the sages say, Now the sages say that when we go now, so now he just, he, he just explained what means Egypt. Egypt means exist just merely existing as a finite entity, no matter which world you are. You can even be a very spiritual being. But if you're not, if you're still living in a state of consciousness of something separated and serving yourself, it should be the highest type of thing. But it's still serving self, it's finite, and it's Egypt. Now the sages say that the Shekhinah also goes into Egypt. Because the sages say when the Jews went to Egypt, the Shekhinah went along with it. Which means this darkness doesn't just start with us. God himself gets locked into this imprisonment. Where we go, he goes. What does it mean, God? The, the, the feminine element of God comes along with us. 
she too gets constrained and constricted. She becomes the soul of a finite creation. And she yearns for redemption. Like we said earlier. When the Amad Azal, the sages say, God is with them. As it says, God says to Jacob, I am descending with you to Egypt. The attribute of Malchus, of the world of Atsilus. Miss Labesha, she's enclosing herself in the three lower worlds. Mamish, literally. And this is the exile of the Shechina. Golos Mitzrayim. This is the exile of Egypt. Shehashchina, the Shechina. Shehimalchus da'atzilus. The Shechina, which is the Malchut element of the world of Atzilus. Who begolos is in the exile. Betoich mitzadim megvulet. She is within the boundaries and within the limitations. And what is V'yitzis Mitzrayim? V'yitzis Mitzrayim and the exodus of Egypt. Who sheyotzis minagolos to biyah. She exits the exile of Bria, Yetzir, and Asiya, of these three lower worlds, Likalel, to become absorbed, Lamaila, above, in the level of Atzilus. So going out of Egypt means that the Shekhinah can rise outside of the constrictions and join with the infinite light of Atzilus, of the world of emanation. And how does she rise? Through her yearning. Through her arousal of above, to awaken above, and that the infinite light should now channel itself through her and through all of her creations downward in downward. After she yearns to go out of Egypt and seeks to be in service of him and wants him to channel his light down to her. So after her yearning, this stimulates, like we said earlier, the man gets stimulated by the woman. So when the woman is seeking his input, he, he then responds, that there should be godly revelation into Malchus, into the Shekhinah. And then via the Shekhinah, to then extend further down into the three lower worlds. In other words, the light doesn't, doesn't go into the Shekhinah and stop in her. It's meant to pass through her and with her and through her into all of her limbs, which are all of the creations, all the details and all, all the sub-details, all the way to the tiniest things in this world can be a conduit for this infinite light. And again, what does he say? Where does she spread herself into? Where does she extend herself into? Bibiya in the three lower worlds. <laughs> Again, he, he, he says she 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 deposits her light first into Avram, Shahu who who in on his own he's limited. Abraham, Avram, his Neshama, as he is a creation, as he's in, in creation, he's limited. And so too into the angels. Here he skips the Neshamas. Avram, I guess, and etc., and all souls, and then Bamalachim, and then in the angels. Okay. So this is the concept. This is Yetzias Mitzrayim. Yetzias Mitzrayim is when the feminine horses and the male horses meet. The female horses arise upward. Holy female horses stimulate the male horses to be channeled down. And actually, how does God come down? He didn't, he doesn't really explain it over here, he explains it maybe later or whatever. It's when God, when we seek through prayer to connect to Him. God, God gives us Torah. When we study Torah, we're just 
The moment you're studying Torah, you empty yourself out of self, and now you are now a conduit for God's words and God's thoughts to be thought through you. Your brain becomes the, the physical brain of God where God is thinking through you. As I was in Toronto this week, and I spoke to a beautiful audience of people, and I was telling them what a mitzvah means and what Torah means, and we were sharing a little thoughts, and I was saying that the mitzvahs are not just you do. Mitzvah means as follows. If God comes down into this world, into a body, what would God, what would be God's diet? What would he eat? Kosher. If God comes down in the body, what would he do the first thing he wakes up in the morning? He would wash us. If God is in a body and he and he what is it? He puts he wraps tefillin on it. That that's God's comment. Now let's take away the if and let's change it. God is in a body in you. And 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 when you're putting on tefillin, God is putting on tefillin in you through you, because that's the truth. Your soul is really Him. That's the divine. Now you can choose to shut down the divine program and live your own life, live your own interest. You can choose to do your stuff, or you can choose to allow God to live through you, in you, and through you. So every time we're conducting ourselves according to the Torah, whatever it's marital life. Whether it's 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 our diet, our kitchen, it's our wardrobe, it's our business, the way we do business, and primarily, what do we occupy our head with? Netflix or or, or other, whatever Meshagas, or every free moment you have, tune into this to this channel and learn Hasidus, learn Torah, allow God's thoughts and Hashem's will to flow through your mind and through your heart. So that's now going out of Egypt. Now, now Hashem is channeling. It's, you're, you're no more a finite being. You're a, 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 you're, the infinite is passing through us. The male horses are coming down, responding to the female horses. Now Paro knew that the Jewish people who were his slaves, now, now we're going to Paro. Remember we said at the beginning of the discourse, Paro made a scheme to put female horses to stimulate male horses. Paro's a wicked guy. He knows that the Jewish people and the Shekhinah were stuck in his darkness. Till now. He realized that they're getting out and they're making connections. They're making connections. In other words, their, their, their soul is beginning to kick in. And they're rising from their petty lifestyles that they had till now. And they realize that they are Jewish people and they can now be, live a divine life, live and express divinity in this world. And they're connecting. And how are they connecting? They're using their female yearnings, their cry. In Egypt, they cried out to God. That was the, 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 the their female horses. They're stimulating. And God responded to them and they're now connecting. He's not happy with that connection. So he wants to distract. So he wants to open up the treasure troves of impurity. He wants to reach the most powerful forces of darkness and impurity and jam them. Like you know what jamming is when you have a certain station and it's 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 communicating, and you're you're having a communication. Two people are talking on a radio, and you want to and you want to jam that communication by causing static or causing some, you know, whatever it's called. Uh, uh, what's it called? When, 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 uh, when, uh, when, uh, it's called static. What is it called? It's another name. When there is a, 
So Pharaoh wants to now disconnect. So what he does is he brings out his female horses. And the idea is he's creating unholy words from below to stimulate a spiritual download of immense darkness. You know those stories of people that were impacted by black magic or by things like the Egyptians were known for this. They had enormous unholy power. So Paro ran after the Jewish people with horses. His main intention was to jam them with the male horses, to like jam their connection, to, to disconnect them. But he needs them, but he needs first, he's using the female horses from below to stimulate these, these very deep, powerful, um, dark energies to cloud their souls in darkness that they shouldn't be able to find their way to God. Instead, they should be enveloped in this deep darkness, whether it will grip them as fear, as insecurity, as whatever. But he just wants to play a, he just wants to do a, God forbid, a, a wreck on their souls. He wants to stop their connection. And that's the reason, and he knows the same secret. He knows the female horses will stimulate the male horses. Let me translate that in today's world. Today's world is like this. You wake up in the morning, you're praying. You're kind of in a good state. You're trying to connect. You use your female horses, and then you're going to, and then, and you, I don't know, whichever point in prayer during davening or whatever it is. And then the Sitra Akra, the other side, needs to stop you. He sees you're activating your female horses, and through this, you're going to receive a divine download, and you're going to live a godly existence. It's going to be awesome. It's such a cool idea. I just thought about this earlier today. So what does he do? He makes you reach for your phone. You reach for your phone, and for no reason at all, you hit a news station or whatever it is, just because I need to check the news or I need to catch up on Facebook. Or I need to see your middle prayer. You're davening, you're learning, or you're getting ready to pray, or you finished praying now. You're in a holy state. You want to daven. And for some reason, he hits you, or you look at your phone because you need your phone. You need to call someone, and he manages to slip in someone sent you something. So you go and you hit, and you, and, and, what, and what does he hit you with? With words with female horse. And what happens is you read, and these are these are, these are female horses because these are words that people create down here. I don't know, some, some impure, it doesn't have to be real dark stuff. The fact that it's, and what happens is when you start reading these words or following or watching this little clip or this film and, it, and what does it do? It's bringing down spiritual forces of darkness onto your soul from places you have no idea. And then you wonder what happened. Why is my love of God not so strong? Why is mine? We don't know where we're downloading from. A lot of these people that are putting out stuff are not plugged into holy stuff. They're plugged into a lot of dark stuff. And when you're listening to whether it's their music or their shows or their things, especially if it's got certain things that are not kosher to it, what does that do? It's one thing what they're showing you. It's another thing, the darkness that is being pulled, spiritual forces of darkness, because there are satanic forces up there. There are forces of darkness. And what's the point? The point that he's interested in doing is to get you disconnected from, from being a channel of holiness and a godly flow. And that's the concept of female horses. So we've got to be very careful.
It's all the unholy words. And I think today's days, it's more than ever before, because in the olden days, he had to th- get your distraction with words by throwing you in unholy thoughts. He had to distract. Today's days, he can actually have so many methods because the phone is always next to us. And it's basically, it's constantly, but you hear a ding, you hear a thing, you know, people become addicted to it, they have to check. It's almost like people have addictions that they have to check their phone every five minutes or every 10 minutes. It's all, it's all, it's almost like a, it's a, it's a, it becomes a habit, it becomes an addiction. So even if you're engaged in something really spiritual and good, people are by a share, they're learning, and just instinctively, they run and they look at their, who asked you now, what do you have to look at your phone for? Maybe like, you know, if you feel a vibration, maybe your wife needs you or something, I understand, but if it's just like, what are you looking? It's almost like you have to look and look. And what's really happening? Pharaoh's after you. Pharaoh's after you, because he knows you're going somewhere. He can see you're going somewhere, he wants to hit you with the horse, he doesn't want you to go out of Egypt. You're ready to leave Egypt. He doesn't want you out of Egypt. He likes you being in Egypt. So what does he do? He sends some 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 female horses, and as a result of those female horses to cut to catch you and to stimulate, what is going to happen is it's going to cause a download from a from a very dark place that you're not even intending to go. That you don't even know this place, but it's causing a virus. It's basically downloading it insidiously when you're not re- realizing it. He's downloading a virus. That's what it is. You see it today also. You see a lot of times they want, they send you something, they want you to click on it. You ever get these things? They get text all the time. They send you and they, or an email, a family that is, you made this order or whatever to see your order that you made, you know, you, you, today, you, you, and you know, if you click their link that they gave you, you're going to be downloading a virus and you have no idea that they're polluting your, your whole system. They're, they're, they're hacking your system. They're putting in some kind of a bug in there that you don't know. And you weren't attending to it, but by following those words, you're going to get yourself into a very dark place. So spiritually, this is what happens. And that's what Paro was trying to do, to jam them at that moment. So now let's see. And Paro wanted to draw He wanted to draw down from the spiritual forces, from the forces of darkness, from the worlds of darkness. That's why he took Egyptian female horses. And he put them first. They represented arousal from below. He wanted the spiritual forces of darkness to help him in his war. He called forth the darkest, most remote forces of evil that exist on the spiritual in the most distant places. He wanted them, and it says actually when the Jewish people were, 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 were at the sea, they saw Egypt was running after them. Rashi says they saw the minister of Egypt running after them in heaven. In other words, they realized this battle wasn't just being fought on the physical plane. The battle was being fought with forces of darkness from above. Extreme satanic forces were coming to help Paro. They, in order, and he wants to get the males. Who are the males? The males are the provider from above. The arousal from above, and they will go. They will go after the females. It is the way of a man to go after a woman. So the same thing. In the in the unholy, the same thing happens. There is a woman there. There is a female horse, an unholy female horse. It will draw down the male horses from above, which means spiritual providers of darkness that that are going to be drawn down and fight Israel, fight the Jewish people. So the same thing exists. So this is what he says happened when they went out of Egypt. 
Now he's explaining how this occurs to us. Now it's interesting, he's not going to explain the Pharaoh dark forces again over here that he doesn't go into. I gave that explanation without him saying it over here, but he's just going to explain how each and every one of us can go out of Egypt by evoking our female horses. And as a result of that, we get gods to bestow upon us enormous levels of holiness far beyond our reach. And that constitutes going out of Egypt. He's not going to go back to Paro with the horses anymore. But, but just the idea that this is the, he's going to explain the horses, the female and male horses in holiness. They're the same as in our service. When we say Shema, when we contemplate Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, Havai Elokeinu, that Havai is our God. So those two words, he says, have a very deep meditation to them. Those, 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 those four words, hear, Israel, Havai Elokeinu. What does that mean? Havai is referring to Chachma. Abba ve'ima, father and mother. These are the first two spherot. Chachma, the first, the attribute of divine wisdom is called Chachma, it's called father. And the attribute of divine intelligence is called mother. And Avayalokeinu means that these two attributes cleave to each other all the time. Chachma and Bina cleave to each other all the time. So what's the meditation in that? Hero Israel, Avayalokeinu, what's the meditation? Meditation is as follows. Chachma is the is the first initial powerful light of God that is still higher than all of creation and all of existence. It's a pure burst of energy of infinite light as it is making its way to create. It's like the burst of creativity. It's an energy undefined yet. Bina is already when this energy starts taking form already certain form. It starts creating already definitions. The unification of Chachma and Bina means that the definitions, the shapes and the forms and the definitions, which later become the outline of the cosmos and all of creation, this is basically the idea behind all of creation, the spiritual map, the spiritual blueprint of all of creation, that happens in Bina. Chachma is the creative energy that's still nothing. Chachma is called nothing and Bina is called something. So the concept of Avaya Lakeno is that the somethingness of Bina cannot exist for a split second without the energy of Chachma continuously um, um, mapping it into existence, cons consistently designing it into existence. So then you realize that this whole map, the whole fabric of time and space and everything that exists doesn't even exist for a split second. It's the pure, infinite, undefinable energy of God that's the true existence. Because without that, it doesn't even, it's not like God creates it, this, 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 this design, this blueprint. And, 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 and if this creative energy goes away, it like kind of will start to slowly like a, you know, like you spray, like you spray sometimes spray paint in the air and you create like a word. So after like you create like a powder, like when the airplane goes out and you create. So then like two minutes later, it, 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 it like begins to evaporate, then it's gone. So you, then you realize how, how, to what degree does it have substance? I ask you the question. To what degree does the substance have there when an airplane goes and says, happy birthday, Lucy, I don't know, whatever they have sometimes these, uh, you know, love, whatever. <laughs> and, 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 and then they, it starts evaporating. So there too, you realize that this is not, this is not something, it's not a fixture that is going to, you're not going to come back tomorrow morning and find it. 
You can't even run to your, uh, you know, to your whatever neighbor and come back and say, come outside, let's go. Because sometimes it's gone. Okay, but maybe you could. Your neighbor, you could. But if you want to go get someone far to go, it won't be there in 10 minutes. But for 10 minutes, it's there. So it has somewhat of a substance. It's not too serious. You're not going to take it too serious, but it does exist. But we're talking about, no, no, no. The entire existence, everything we see and we exist is continuously contingent on that powerful yud that the, the chachma has to make the bina every second. And if chachma goes away, bina is gone instantly. It has no existence at all. So what is the existence of the cosmos? Nothingness. It doesn't have any existence at all. So when you meditate on that, you start realizing, what am I so caught up with? What am I? And imagine if you can drop the shape and form that has no existence and actually focus and grab the energy that's actually the substance creating it and internalize that. Oh, that's real. And then even realize that even that energy is just a little spit of it, a little a spigot of energy that or that was like a little a little droplet, which comes from an infinite source. And that infinite source is the real reality. You want that? That creates the vahafta. So just the meditation. If you take some time and meditate on this concept for three minutes, a minute, three minutes better, five minutes even better, because then it really will get to you. And do this daily, you'll feel very different about the world, about existence. So uh, uh, this is the idea. Father and mother. The understanding that existence is coming from nothing to something. And how the something is nullified to the power that's making it continuously, because without it, it doesn't have any existence. This is the unification of father and mother. It doesn't have to be exactly this meditation. So there's various different meditations on, on similar to this concept. When a person contemplates this, here's the thing. In order to stimulate your female horses, you have to have a stimulator. The horses are, are sleeping. They're not going to wake up. They're not going anywhere. By, by stimulating, you stimulate them through thinking, you get excited. Then, then you feel an emotional desire. You convey those the, that desire and that want in your heart in words. That's your feminine, your female horses that are going to pull down the godly life. That, that creates the arousal from above, from below. To go out from the darkness, the aguf, and the imprisonment of the body. The imprisonment of the body means to be completely obsessed and devoted to our body and what our body wants, as opposed to the cosmic desire, the higher thing. The Leois and what and what happens to a person as a result of this contemplation? That you 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 achieve a state. What, what, what is the verse right after Shema Yisrael? What do we say? You will love God. And you reach a point where you feel like you can't stand it, so being stuck and imprisoned in this make-believe existence. And it bothers you so much. Till you feel the rapture, your soul in means you love God with all your might. You're ready to break free from your body. It's almost like an infinite desire, an unsatiable and unquenchable desire. All that you want is to become absorbed above, into the infinite, into the truth of the divine, which is the world of Atsilos, which is really limitless. 
As a result of your quest and thirst, God responds. And the response, so it's interesting. The first portion of the Shema, the first paragraph, which starts with Shema and goes through Vahafta Tulovisharecha, is all ascending energy. It's ascending. What it really means is the energy that is contained in vessels of finitude is seeking to escape the finite vessels. You're basically releasing your soul from its entrapment in vessels. That's why there are 42 letters in the Shema, 42 words in the first paragraph of Shema. 42 is the name of God of Anavakoach, which I have 42 words, which is ascending energy. Whenever there is an energy that's within a vessel, that wants to get free itself and go upward, it does it through the name of Hashem of 42. That's why every time we we are in a state of ascendance, we say anabakach. At night before we go to sleep, we, we're gonna elevate our soul out of our body, restore our soul up there. We say in Shema anabakach. Friday night, before Lachun Iran and Allah, no, before, um, uh, where the worlds are rising, the energy of the world that was contained in a state of separation during the week is rising on Shabbos, we say, Anavachot. Omer, when we're elevating sparks of holiness, we're elevating our animal soul, we say, Anavachot. In the morning, during Karbanot, during prayer, in, the, in this passage, Karbanot are sacrifices, Anavachot. And what are we doing with a sacrifice? We're releasing the animal soul from its physical trapment in the animal. So it's all ascending energy. Ascending energy is always. So the first part of the Shema is the feminine horses, the female horses rising upward. The second portion of the Shema has 72 words in it. Not to the end, but to the word Vesamtem. Why you stop by Vesamtem, I don't know, but that's what it says in the Arizal. That's the 72. And 72 is a different name of God. It's the name of the divine flow into vessels. The opposite. Instead of going out of vessels, because 72 is the numeric value of the word chesed. It's a flow down. And then God is flowing in us and through us into the world. That's why I'm so excited this year that it's 72 years. This year Shvat is 72 years since the Rebbe is Rebbe. So it's the flow. The Rebbe's entire dream is the drawing of the infinite light down, Basi Lagani, into the world. So now we're reached the highest moment for that to happen. Now, I believe a lot is going to happen from now, between now, I had a thought today. I'm sure a lot is going to happen between now and the 11th day of Nisan. It's these, it's these two months now. You'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Making my prediction over here, Thursday night class, not in front of thousands of people that we do other times, and quietly over here, Thursday, whoever listens three hours into the time, make my prediction. It's going to be a lot of action in the world in the next two months. Between now and Pesach, things are going to heat up big time. Let's hope I'm right. That, that's my sense. 72, the flow of energy downward. And what we need to do is we need to make sure to flow, direct our energies into good things, into, into vessels, into containers, channel down. We say this, so this is what he's saying over here. Which is the second parsha of the Shema, where we say, you know what's interesting? It's beautiful. Look at these words. We say, 
If you will listen to God, to love God, your God. Simply it means you'll listen to God to love him. But that's good. But there's a much better peers. You will you will you will listen to God. Doesn't mean that you should love God. To bring God to a state of love. To make God love you. That's love. La'anava, to turn God on, basically to give God, to turn him on towards his female. So if you will listen to God, to stimulate him, to, to turn him on to love you. And what happens when a man is turned on to love his wife? He transmits himself to her. So this is what we're doing here. If you will listen, la'anava, to bestow love, to awaken love, es Hashem, in Hashem, wait. And as a result of that, he will channel himself to be your God. Your God means he will dwell himself into you. He will flow into your soul. Then, okay, that's what it is. There should be love. In the first parsha of Shema, when it says, it says you should love. Because the first parsha of Shema is the female horses. You're loving. The second part of Shema is supposed to stimulate the male horses. So to in love in him, to make him love you. That he should be drawn downward. He should be God, your God, Mamish. And so much so, you know, there's a stunning thing we say in the second portion of the Shema. It goes on to say, if you listen to God, and then it says, Venasati, I will give Mitar Artsakim, I will give rain. So who's the suddenly the one talking over here that says, I will give rain? It should have said, God will give rain. If you will do listen to God and keep his mitzvot and so God will give rain. It doesn't say that I will give rain. So you know who's giving rain? Moshe saying, I will give rain. Moshe? Moshe's not God. Moshe can't give rain. When Moshe was talking about this process of stimulating the divine and then automatically becoming a conduit to the mind, at a certain point when Moshe was talking, Moshe ceased to exist completely and he's just a funnel for God. So when Moshe is saying, I will give rain, he's saying, I will give, but he's not speaking on his behalf because Moshe is not there anymore. Once you're a conduit to God, then so who is saying, I will give rain? When you're saying, I, but that's not only Moshe. Every single person who's saying the Shema can say, I will give rain. You become the source of rain to everywhere because it's not you. The moment that you think you're you as something separate, then you're not giving no rain. But when you lost yourself now to the point that you can be talking and say, I will give rain. Someone listening to think you're giving the rain, but it's not you because you're not talking on your behalf. You're just a final fashion. So now you're saying, I will give rain. That means every single one of us can become a miracle worker, can become, but it's not us. The moment you see, the moment you start meditating, you think it's you, it, it all comes without self awareness. You're not aware because you're so tuned into God, godliness flows through you. You meet people, you tell them exactly what they need to hear. You don't even, you didn't even mean it. You don't even know that you're telling them something that, you know, you, you say the right thing exactly to them. Basically, it's God speaking through you to that person. And we become such amazing conduits for, for God sending messages in us and through us, via us. Because we stop being 
nobodies, and we become everybody and everything. And then it says, I will give grass. Same thing. And then in the end of Shema, God says, God says, good job. In the end of Shema, God says, terrific. This is exactly what I intended. I am God. I took you out of Egypt. When? Today. Now. Because right now you're you you are you you are not in Egypt anymore. You're no more a creation. You're no more within the three lower worlds. You're channeling Atsilos, you're channeling the, the world of emanation in you and through you into the world. You went out of boundaries, as we said before. Ach. Okay, we're not going to learn to the end of the discourse because I don't understand a, a certain part of it further, but I just want to learn a little further because we want to connect it. Because this week, last week, Parsha's bow is Yitzhia Smitzrayim. We're going out of it. This week is the splitting of the scene. So Yitzhia Smitzrayim comes about, going out of Egypt comes about throughout, through putting the female horses first. But what happened by when they came to the sea? Paro goes and undoes, he removes the female horses from the chariots and he puts them in the back and he lets the male horses run the show on the front. Same thing, God, the Shekhinah goes behind, that's the female, the concept of female horse as it is in holiness goes behind and we are led only by male horses. What's the idea? Because as high as we go when we go out of Egypt, it's not the ultimate elevation. When God, when God took us out of Egypt, the verse says, God says, I will go down to you, with you to Egypt, and I will, I will elevate you from Egypt, I will bring you up, also bring you up. From here we see that there's not just one going up, there's a going up, and there's another going up. Basically, I'm just going to be very brief. We're talking till now that when once we exit the created state and we enter into the divine state, we're liberated from Egypt. But there's a much greater elevation waiting for us. Because becoming part of the divine world, which is the world of Atsilas, is still being in a world. Which means it's still being in a, in a state of world, meaning there's still some, some definitions. It's divine definitions, but it's still definitions. We were learning in the discourse yesterday in Basilagani, we learned the concept that there's three worlds God has, three levels. The lowest level of the three lower worlds, that's Egypt, state of separation. Then there is the middle level called Atsilos, which is on the one hand, ain't self, it's infinite because it's connected. It's not separate consciousness. But on the other hand, it's still called the world because there's definitions, there's vessels. We learned that yesterday, we learned in the Mimer. It has Caleb, it has vessels. And there is a transcendence to the infinite light that doesn't have any vessels at all. And that can't, it's not really called the world at all. It's the orient self, infinite. So after we go out of Egypt and we're already connected and we're already divine, now we can take a much greater leap. And that was accomplished by the splitting of the sea. The splitting of the sea took them out into the, into the ain't self, literally. But over there, you don't use any more female horses. That has to be given to you as a gift from above. You can't stimulate that. There's no way to reach with our stimulation. You can't reach that. So you put the you put the steam the female horses back in the coral, 
That's why when the Jews came to the sea, they started crying and praying. And God said, shh, you're giving me a headache. <laughs> That's what happened. God says to Moshe, stop yelling, stop praying. Why are you crying to me? And the, and the end, he says, God will fight for you, the Atem Tachrishan, and you be silent. We're dealing over here at a moment, at certain times, when God doesn't want us to be participants or to be stimulators. God says, let me kick him in. Let me kick in and be God. Let me just gift you with what I want to gift you without you. Because this is coming from a place so high that you can't reach. So making noise and all of that is just disturbing. Just be quiet. Just sit and wait. Allow it to happen on its own. And that is the idea that, that you put the male horses, which means the flow from above is coming without a stimulation. Now, Paro, the evil Paro, knew that that exists. And he was trying to, he, he wanted to do that in unholiness. He wanted to also draw down from a place so dark and so that you can't even stimulate it from above. above. And that's why he took off the female horses and let the horses, the male horses, because he wanted to barat when he saw that he's failing. With the, he wanted to then reach, He basically, he wanted to throw every every impurity at them. But to really get them, he wanted to unleash upon them the highest, deepest darkness possible. Well, you can't stimulate from above, from, from below, it has to come from above. That was in the unholy. But in the holy, Hashem tells the Shekhinah, go behind. The Shekhinah goes behind. No more stimulation from above. Allow the light. Basically, and in, 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 in the higher terminology that he's going to use over here, he says all the stimulation that we stimulate is only the lights of Atsilus beginning from Chachma. Chachma is the first of the ten sefirot that has a relationship to the world. From that place, our stimulation from below can draw down more lights from Chachma. Chachma and Dawah. Chachma is enormous lights, godly light, but it's above Chachma is Keter, the crown. From the crown, you can't reach through any stimulation. From the crown, you can only be silent. That's the end. Let's read a little further, and we're going to continue it next week. I just wanted to at least get into this some kind of the arousal from above. That comes through the arousal of below. Which is the exit of Egypt. It can only reach, it's only a drawing forth from the wisdom, from the element of Chachma, of the world of Atsilus. Because the arousal from below cannot evoke. It can't stimulate or evoke beyond Chachma of the world of Atsilus. It caps out. There's only a certain point. It's like a person yelling, like you're crying out. You're, you're stuck in the in the wilderness or something and you're crying out. There's only how far your, your voice will, will be heard. How far will it go? And if the person, and if you're lucky, the helicopters that are searching, they don't even they don't even hear you, but they happen to be searching with certain, and they spot you on their own. They come to the rescue on their own. It's not because you're calling, because you're calling or making a flare or whatever is not catching their attention. Because they're too far to see you. On that end, you're. But if it comes, it'll come. The search teams are coming on their own. That kind of idea. Ki because which is the source of us, the source of creation. 
the Shechina is called Brata, she's called the daughter. Because in Atzilus, let's say, in Atzilus, there is, we discussed this, all the entire configuration of Sefirot are two couples, father and mother, Chachma and Bina, and then son and daughter. Malchut is called daughter. So the sages say, the Zohar says an interesting thing, that the, the, the daughter, which is the Shekhinah, which is the source of creation, is rooted in father, in the level of father called Chachma, father's girl. The father has a relationship to his daughter. So Chachma is infinitely beyond Malchus, but Malchus has a special connection to father. So when she cries out, she evokes her father. She invokes the levels of spiritual light that come from Chachma. But beyond Chachma, she can't evoke. And that's Keter. Chachma compared to Keter is considered nothing. Beyond, beyond the world of Atzilus, into the infinite light, from there we can't evoke. Doesn't mean, ki because uh, the father is the foundation of the daughter. hadibor, just like we see in a person. Speech, speech is, 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 is malchut, your speech. Where does speech come from? The power of the soul that produces speech is Chachma. Chachma is the beginning and the source of speech. Alkane, therefore, that's why speech doesn't have the ability to rise above and beyond Chachma. So that's to where it goes. Chachma the Chachma of the world of Atzilus, Nikra Abba, is called Father. The beginning of all revelations, of all of all revelations to all the worlds. It was the enormous. It's a it's touching the pure orange self, but and from there comes the entire light of the entire uh, the entire creative order. Um, it's the beginning of everything. And Malchus is called the daughter. Okay, however, therefore, in Malchus the Malchus of Latzilus does not have the ability lalois, to rise ula oired, and to evoke Biserusa de Latata with her arousal from below, Hanis Kaliel that we mentioned earlier, beyond the Chachma, beyond the level of wisdom of the world Atzilus, she can't she can't run. Kemasha Latinik, just like a child, Shanimshach Achar Oviv, just like a child that always follows or, or seeking to can always do, your child runs after the dad because the child, even when they're very young, they, the child, you see a little baby crawling to her father. When she's, she sees her dad, one of her parents, she goes crawling very quickly or runs or whatever. That's because the baby feels some, some soul connection. It feels that they come from the parent. So we can, we can feel and sense and reach for the level where we come from. And where, what's our source? Our source is in the level of the divine level called Chachma. That's why the elevation of the Malchut is only to Chachma. It's the beginning of the revelation, which through our arousal from below, we can draw pump energy from this very, very high level, which is the beginning of everything, but yet it's the beginning of everything. So it has a connection to everything. By days and through our arousal, ruach icy ruach, the spirits from below draws icy ruach, the amshech ruach draws down the spirits from above. Lias esrusa deliela will draw and stimulate the arousal from above. Lias hashpav amshach that there should be an influence and a download. Mipchinas chachma datzilus from the chachma of the world of atzilus lipchinas malchus 
to the Malchut, Lehispashit for it to expand, Bibiya, and then from Malchus, through Malchus, as we discussed earlier, into the three lower worlds, Avalamaila Mabchinas Chachma, but beyond Chachma, Pchinas Keser Elyon, this is abbreviation, which stands for Keser Elyon, the supernal crown, on that level, the arousal of below cannot awaken because it's not the beginning of the world, it's above the beginning. It's higher than the beginning. Like he says, take a look at a human being. In a human being, Chachma is the head. And the head is part of the human. The limbs of the body are much lower than the head, but yet it's still one unit. But the crown that you wear above your head is not part of your body. It's above the body. And therefore, the limbs of the body and even the head don't have an essential connection to the crown. The head touches the crown, but it doesn't, it's not one unit with it. And therefore, that's a physical example for the spiritual idea that the level of crown, which is the orange sof, God, as he has no relationship to the creation at all, that level is inaccessible even to the lofty levels of Shekhinah to evoke and to stimulate. If anything is going to come from there, it's going to come just because he will initiate. He wants, he's desiring, he wants to, to gift us with that. But that has to come completely from him. So, Chachma is called Rashis, the beginning. Chachma is, is, is considered the Rashis to Bina. And from Bina, like we said earlier, the Yud is the source of the hay. Chachma is the power that 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 creates that hay, but it's 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 still a source for it. from bina goes the midot, the emotions, and from there you map out or or formulate all of existence. Now, even though chachma is above bina, and bina is above the midot, above the power of bina is higher than the emotions. They still have. A value one to the other. They still have a significance one to the other. But the level of chachma, the wisdom, in compared to the pure, to the level called supernal crown, nemar on that it says It is not compared to you. That means it has no relationship whatsoever. Shein Aroich Klal doesn't have any comparison at all. Shubchenas Ayin Mamish. Chachma and everything that comes from it compared to Keter is considered absolute nothing. Not, literally nothing. has, And nothingness can't evoke you. It can be stimulated by somebody or something, but something that's, if it's nothing, how can nothing, you ever had nothing calling out to you? A person who's responding to nothing, they usually put the person into an asylum. You understand that? that, that right. So there's no there's no stimulation from nothingness. Chachma comes from nothingness, and the level the level beyond chachma is. Is is um, absolutely removed. which is the crown. It's utterly above all the evolving order of creation. This is called the skull of the world of Arich. Arich is the is 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 a kabbalistic term for keter. 
Genas Malchus the Ein Sof is the Malchut element of the infinite. It's like the crown below. It's not part of the head. It's above the head. The English is It doesn't have any connection to the head itself. It's not like It's not like the hand and the feet. Even though they're much lower or inferior to the head. They're still part of the same body. They have a relationship. But the crown is above the head. The same is true. The supernal crown doesn't have any relationship at all. There's no comparison at all. That's why the arousal from below is not capable of evoking at all to the level of crown. But what then? It's something that could descend or could, you know, it could, it could um, download, so to speak, on its own. Shepchenas Keser Mizgala, when Keter reveals itself, it's utterly up to Keter. It's not up to anybody stimulating it. Memela without any arousal from below at all. Kamoi, when do we have a revelation like that? On Shavuot, by the giving of the Torah. We, could, we can't do anything to arouse the giving of the Torah. Torah. Giving the Torah is the 50th day. It's a moment of silence. We don't say Sefirah. We don't count the 50th. We're silent. Every day before Sefira, before Shavuot, we're counting, counting, counting. So you would think the 50th day, we should give one shout out of that last count. We're counting the 50th. You can't count. It's very, it's very noticeable. If you go to shul every night, you're part of the evening service, every day count. And it's like this mysterious silence that happens after prayer. Shavuot by night where you're ready to count Sefira and there's no count. You feel the silence. Because on this level, you just you can you can just wait. Kemoy Bishvuis, Mizgalab, Khinasaketa reveals itself the level of crown. Now, just like it was on Shavuot, so it is by the splitting of the sea. The Zeb Khinas Kriyas Yamsuf, and this is the concept of the splitting of the sea. Shahaya Azis Galus Prinas Kesar Elian. By the splitting of the sea, there was the revelation of the supernal crown. Like it says, and that is the reason, like it says, in, in, when Moshe cries out to God, Hashem says, Who's Hashem? Hashem says, Why, Hashem, why are you crying out? Why are you, why are you crying out to me? Well, who then should I cry out to? What do you mean? This God is saying, Why are you crying to me? I can't help you. So, who do you want? So, give me a number for who I should call. We're calling, Moshe's calling God because I'm sorry, you got the wrong guy. Like, oh, so who that am I supposed to call? And the answer to Zohar says, yeah, God said that. I can't help you. What does that mean? Yudke Vavke said, I can't help you. Because Yudke Vavke, this miracle that you need requires the higher-ups. So the, the, the Zohar says, actually, that God says, Batikatalia, this is dependent on Atik Yomit. That's the ancient of days. You have to reach the infinite. And I'll give you a good idea. Just be silent. Don't try to reach it because you can't. You can't. Yudke Vavke says, I can't reach him. You can't. You think you can reach him. There's no, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no line to, 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 to call, to call in. What should you do? Be silent. Um, says, El Moshe to Moshe, Why are you crying out to me? 
It's not dependent on me. It's dependent on the ancient of days. Ancient of days is the supernal, infinite, innermost of the crown. What's called the skull or whatever now. The level of Keter. To this very lofty level of Keter, of crown. The arousal from below is not able to arouse at all. When this is the meaning why it says, Hashem Yilochem Lochem, God will fight for you, and you be silent. And the Zohar explains, what does that mean? Silent doesn't only mean silent in your vocal cords. Who is it? Who? Hi. How are you? Yes, for sure. Yes. That's so nice. There's another student. We're about winding down. We're probably just at the last few minutes, but that's okay. I was watching all the way. Oh, okay. So you're with us. Now you know what's happening right over here. So this is what he says, don't arouse anything. Because here's the thing, if you're going to arouse, if you're going to try to stimulate on this level, if over here you're going to try to stimulate, because every awakening from below, every awakening from below is only going to awaken a a, 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 a a stimulation from above that is equivalent to what you're what you're stimulating. As we spoke earlier, remember we spoke earlier that the Hashem's response to us is always an equivalence to the way we're awakening. And therefore, to a level where we have no relationship at all, where, there's, where, where we are actually actually utterly meaningless to such a high lofty level, the only thing you can do is just hope and be silent. That's only from the levels of Chachma, from the levels of wisdom over there we can we can awaken. But by the splitting of the sea, there was the revelation of Keter, which is the crown. If it reveals itself, it reveals itself on its own. Without arousal from below. And that's why it says you should be silent. Which means allow the male horses to come out without the female horses no stimulation and as a result of that the splitting of the sea happened and i'm going and, and this part already starting to explain the what happened what is what what is the content of the splitting of the sea which means that the sea becomes dry land which is a certain equality that takes place in all of existence the highest most hidden levels the sea represents hidden and concealed whatever is concealed suddenly becomes revealed and that can only happen when it, when something that completely supersedes the entire system is introduced into the system as long as the general divine stimulation that comes into creation that works kind of like that's the source of the system is 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 flowing then there's then there's then there's borders and boundaries and there are certain things that remain up above and certain things reveal themselves and then even when you can increase the light you can draw down more energy but there will always be you know certain barriers the idea of the splitting of the sea means that 
every single thing that was once hidden became accessible. Everything was revealed. It means the entire, and what does that mean? That means that the entire system was sabotaged of existence. And how did that happen? That's because something infinite, because Hashem himself, who's generally outside of creation, out, revealed himself, and to him, the high and the low are absolutely equal. I mean, what, what we think is high and therefore lofty and, 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 and spiritual and great, and this is low and therefore far, that's only within the paradigm of creation. But once we introduce God himself, it's like you have like the, 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 the super, super, super billion billionaire. So to him, you know, you have a, a, a guy who's like generally the wealthiest guy in the shul and the poor guy in the shul. But if this guy, they get it, they're both equal. It's like, you know, because, because to him, they're both, they both have nothing. They're both paupers. That's kind of the idea. But with God, we're talking about in a real way. Over here, it's also just relative. But in a real way, if Hashem himself is revealed, that creates this equality and equalization in all of existence. So what happened? All the secrets, all the concealed levels suddenly were suddenly like unearthed. Everything came out to the surface, which expressed itself that there is usually a barrier called the sea, which the, the physical sea is also a place where there's a whole hidden world with beautiful corals and fish and amazing stuff that are in the sea, but they're usually unknown to us. Besides a few divers who go down there, Today's days we have movies and you know or, or films of people that actually cameras crews that go down and show us the concealed world. But generally, it's a hidden, mysterious, unknown world. And for most most of human history, no one knew what was in the sea. I mean, you know, generally people swam a little bit, but you didn't really get to see the enormity of life that's in the ocean. The ocean is a concealed world. But and that's in our physical plane. But on a far broader perspective. We understand that the ocean represents and reflects levels of existence that are concealed. And generally, the more spiritual something is, the more concealed it is. And the higher, and this, what, what is concealed, uh, what, what is considered um, revealed in a certain world, every world has a higher reality that's considered the sea, the sea in that world. It's what they don't know. It's like, you know, in this level, you know, down here we know we know hardly anything. Imagine if we can go visit and hang out with the angels a little bit. We find out that they know much more, right? Well, we don't know, they know. But to them, there is also a realm that they don't know that's beyond them. That's called the sea to them. That's the closed one. And then if you go up to a higher world of higher angels or higher beings, you find then you get they know much more. So what was concealed to the previous world is to them dry land, and to them there is a higher sea, which is a this goes higher and higher and higher. But the great crazy thing of the splitting of the sea is that every level in existence that was concealed was suddenly completely revealed to everybody. And at that moment, we as a people saw everything. All the way up, and we pointed with our finger and said, here is God. You know, we saw, like, amazing. The level of prophecy that was revealed at the splitting of the sea was greater, the sages say, that a maidservant a little children at the sea saw what the greatest prophets didn't see in all of history. We had great prophets who had unbelievable visions. Their visions was considered nothing compared to what every single person got to see at the sea. Because the splitting of the sea is considered the highest level of divine revelation. 
Well, what made all of that reveal itself, which is usually never happens? That's because of something even deeper that happened. Now, what happened? Because God himself, the lights of Keter, which is the infinite light of Hashem himself, was suddenly downloaded into the creation. Compared to Keter, all of creation is nothing. The highest and the lowest are equal. So there's no problem of crossing all these, interacting between all these levels. And therefore, everything was revealed. But in order for this light of Keter to reveal itself, the light of the infinite of the crown to reveal itself, this cannot come from a stimulation. This has to come from above on its own. And that's why the verse says, you be silent. Now, don't be, and this was reflected in the concept as well, that the, that till now, they put the female horses in the front, which female represents the stimulation from below to, ev to evoke the, 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 the downloading from the, from the influencer from above. Now we, but on this level, you, you can only sit back and be quiet. Let's read this the last few lines. And I, I want to come back to this part next week. Just to that he converted sea to dry land. from the concealed became revelation. The Abba the 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 Abba Nikra Your father and mother is called the concealed world. Vizun and male and female Nikra Alma is called the revealed world. Again, I'm not going to explain this now because I want to. This this is really connected to the next piece, and I'm not going to leave that for the Echia Helen Legilu. How can this happen? Such concealment come to revelation. Now, because there was a revelation of the crown, there's beyond the entire evolving order. Over there, revelation and uh, concealment and revelation are equal. Like darkness, like light. Compared to that level, light and darkness are equal. So that even out all levels of existence, and that was the spect spectacular revelation of the of of Kriyas Yamsu. And for that moment, there was no stimulation from below. It was just the silence. So that just shows us in our own lives that there are times that um, we are called to do things. We are called to get involved, and there are times when our godly thing to do is silence. How to know? <laughs> How to know when this and when is that? That we still have to figure out. But, all right. This is for now. As Hashem will conclude this next week. I don't know when. Maybe Thursday. Or maybe I'll try to finish it earlier. So we'll see. All right. The end for now.